1: From the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Well, good for Damian Lillard. He got two years, $122 million in extension money for the Blazers. That puts him at $450 million in NBA contract earnings. $450 million. So don't say the Blazers never won anything with Damian Lillard being part of the roster. I mean, hell, Dame won all that money. He got paid. Blazers organization uh, music cut out on me. What happened?
2: Sorry you about there? that. You got a rookie, rookie on the board today.
0: Yeah? Oh, we got a rookie on the board. You got a
2: rookie on the board today. I'm I already sorry. won mistake down.
0: There, there you go. I'm sorry. I, I thought I was off air for a second. Well, anyway, the Blazers uh, the Blazers, uh, you know, have given Damian Lillard $122 million in extension money. And there's part of me that understands why the Blazers have done this. But I also um, I also am left feeling a little flat for the organization, as Lillard is supposed to sign this deal on Saturday in Vegas. Uh, it will run through the 2024-2025 season. He has uh, already made $154 million as the franchise player over the last decade. His earnings will now be more than $270 million. This for a player who hasn't won a game in the Western Conference Finals. Hasn't advanced beyond that. Now, it's not Damian Lillard's fault that this Blazers roster has been broken. He has played admirably. He's done everything that he could possibly do in his power to to, to carry his end of the bargain. But there's some part of this that doesn't sit well with me as I watch a guy... Uh, who uh, is turning 32 years old in July 15th here coming up. He uh, took last year, most of last season, was off, played just 29 games because of the abdominal issue. But the Blazers are a 27-win team, 13th in the Western Conference. Uh, They're talking about this quick rebuild. They, They trade for Jeremy Grant. They draft Shaden Sharp, who... Uh, has left Summer League with a shoulder injury. Uh, I just am left feeling a little bit flat for the Blazers organization because it feels like the plan is what? To build around Lillard for two more years beyond this? And and I'm left feeling like, well, maybe the organization's plan is to give Lillard the money and then uh, at least you hang on to the asset, you trade him at some point in the next couple, two, three years if the trajectory of this franchise isn't working out. But uh, Damian Lillard getting paid, and Blazer fans, I want to know how you feel about it. 503-417-7575. On one hand, you are keeping a player who is clearly the best player on the roster. Uh, You are locking him in. On the other hand, you're giving him the kind of money that is normally reserved for players who are delivering their team to the NBA Finals. Uh, At least getting into the Western Conference Finals and winning games, Lillard hasn't done that. Is there any part of that that you put on Lillard? I want to hear from you, Blazer fans. How do you feel about it, Sean? How do you feel about it?
2: Uh, a couple of thoughts here. I think um, that it's a, it's a ton of money, and you know, it's this comes on the same day that James Harden, you know, who usually isn't exactly the uh, the pillar of you know good. Uh, team basketball. He actually took a big pay cut today to James Harden to try to help Philly win the title. And then a couple hours later, after we get that announcement that James Harden did that, we see Damian Lillard taking $60 million a year. He's going to be, really, I think the richest player in the NBA by NBA contracts. So, you know, he he clearly deserves it. You know, he stayed loyal to the franchise. Does he, it's a though, ton of I mean, money. That, let, yeah.
0: let me play devil's advocate. Does he deserve $60 million a year? It's a
2: lot of money. But uh, I think you can make the argument that he's as important. Well, I think there's a couple players that are more deserving to be the richest player, like Steph Curry comes to mind. But at the, the end of the day, he means a ton to Portland. So maybe not the richest player, but he deserves to be one of them.
0: Yeah, and I'm in that camp where, look, I, I understand the market. Doesn't lie. If there is a market for a player that of his of his caliber, that you know he's entitled to uh, go out and negotiate what he can get from the Blazers. But I'm I'm uh, looking at that number a little bit, and I'm going, gosh, you know, this is a roster that is really top heavy now, especially with him on it. Uh, it's wobbling, uh, and you know, if the Blazers are like a canoe. Floating down the Willamette River, and Dame's in the front of the canoe. I mean, the canoe is up off the water in the back. I mean, when you talk about the disparity in salary and uh, the supporting cast that he's got, uh, how much of that do we put on Damian Lillard? How much of that do we put on the franchise? It's really hard for me to blame Lillard for the money that he's getting. Like I, you know, I'm not saying that, but I am looking at this, and I'm left feeling a little bit uncertain, a little bit skittish. About giving him two years, hundred twenty million dollars. When you know this is not a player that other star players have lined up to come play around and join in the Blazers' roster. This is not a player who has, in the last couple of years, played at his highest level. He hasn't. He's coming off an injury. We don't know what he's going to be next season. I gather that the Blazers said, "Look, we've got a, we've got a, uh, we've got an asset here. We have a hard time attracting free agents." Uh, We should commit to our guy long-term. That way, at least we have him under contract, and uh, in the foreseeable future, we could uh, pivot that into uh, trading him or attempting to surround him with other players. But uh, for as much as uh, their uncertainty is around the Blazers organization, one thing is sure. Damian Lillard is going to sign this deal, he is going to be under contract. It, it, the extension also has a player option that extends to 26-27 season, and I don't want to know, you know, what he's going to have left in the tank there in the 2026-2027 20, 20, season. As we talk about a 36-year-old Damian Lillard playing guard, but I want to hear from Blazer fans: Where do you stand on this contract? Where do you stand on, uh, you know, the sort of the landscape of uh, what is happening in, uh, you know, $61 million a year. Uh, you tell me what that means to you, Blazer fans. Uh, and I know a lot of Blazer fans are probably happy because they say, hey, we get to keep our guy and he's under in uniform. But I'm just wondering at the end of the Lillard tenure, if we're going to look back and we're going to go, that was a lot of money that the Blazers invested in one player who never delivered the Blazers beyond just getting to the Western Conference Finals. This does not appear to be a team that, can break through. Did they hit their head on the ceiling a couple of few years ago when they made it to the Western Conference Finals and got swept? Uh, Certainly, I wrestle all the time with how much of that is Lillard's fault, how much of it is Neil Olshay, how much of it is just the franchise itself seems to be uh, hamstrung by uh, poor leadership and uh, a general manager that now has uh, been pushed out of the organization. Joe Cronin has taken over. And, you know, I, I didn't like the moves Joe Cronin made at the trade deadline, but I liked his uh, early part of the summer and Lillard getting two years and uh, a whole bunch of money, $122 million, uh, is phenomenal for him. I don't know how good this will be in the end for an organization that probably needed more balance on the payroll sheet uh, and maybe needs to think about the long-term ramifications of uh, at what point do you move Damian Lillard? I'm going to ask Sean Hyken that coming up. He is a uh, fantastic NBA reporter, the Rose City Report, also uh, works at Bleacher Report. But Haiken uh, will will uh, give us the lowdown on what this means, what the Blazers could be doing with this contract. But uh, we'll also get an update on Shaden Sharp, who's getting an MRI on his left shoulder uh, right now. So uh, we will check that out. Sean Haiken will be joining us in just a couple few minutes. Yesterday at the end of the show, we talked about Jody Allen some um, and the report in the New York Post about – uh, Jody Allen's past, all the animal bones, the weirdness of the billionaire lifestyle, the lifestyle of the, the of the rich and strange, um, and and we talked about kind of what it meant in context with the Blazers organization. Uh, part of that New York Post report uh, pointed out that she did not call Phil Knight back. Another part. Uh, indicated that Lillard also had tried to get in touch with her and she did not return his call. Lillard has since come out and refuted that and he says she does return his calls. It doesn't make the giraffe and penguin bones any less weird. It it doesn't excuse her for not calling Phil Knight back. But I learned a little bit last night uh, kind of about what we might be seeing going on between Phil Knight and Jody Allen right now. Be sure it is 100% a negotiation. And uh, I am told by uh, people in uh, the uh, inner circle with Phil Knight that uh, he he was offended by her news release in which he, she she claimed that it would take 10 to 20 years to unravel some of the you know her brother's estate because it's so complex. He took that as a direct shot. So I don't know if Larry Miller going public with the New York Post was, you know, Phil punching back, or if Larry just said, you know what, uh, you know, I'm going to go on record now and talk about this. But I thought it was a really interesting timing. And if you're a Blazer fan, I think you have to pay attention to what that is going on. It is such a sideshow. It is it has nothing to do with the basketball, really. But I think this is an organization that we'd all feel a lot better about if, uh, if this organization had uh, better ownership and – Uh, a better idea of what it wanted to be long-term. Again, the news today, Lillard gets two years, $122 million in extension money with the Blazers. Um, The extension has an option uh, after the second year uh, through 2026-2027. Lillard will be 36 and almost 37 in the final two years of that contract. Sean Hyken's coming up. We're going to talk to him about this contract, about the Blazers' summer league, about Joni Allen's ownership all that and more i've got a bunch of pac 12 stuff i want to talk about on the show today as well you got the bald face truth i want you to leave it locked in right here
1: you've got the home of the truth back to the bald faced truth with john canzano on 750 the game
0: go I like that music it gets the energy going you know it's you know when you don't have the music it's it's like a silent movie can't have that uh, Damian Lillard gets uh, two years $122 million extension it's a lot of money a lot of money uh, and the Blazers uh, you know, are trying to build around him. Their draft pick, Shaden Sharp, uh, left Summer League with a left shoulder injury. We want to talk about that. I want to talk about Jody Allen's ownership of the Blazers. I want to talk about Lillard. Sean Hyken, uh, Rose City Report, that is the uh, new endeavor that he has embarked upon. He's covering the Blazers. If you're a Blazer fan, you should be following Sean Hyken. He's joining us now. Let's start with Lillard. Two years, hundred twenty-two million. Sean, what was your reaction when you saw that?
3: I, I mean, I, the number was actually a little bit higher than what I thought the max. I, then what I had always heard, and obviously this stuff kind of goes, you know, this stuff is all kind of subject to change depending on like where the salary cap ends up and where you know how what you know gets triggered as far as like the revenue split. But I had always heard that it was you know going to be like two years, a hundred was going to be the max. I guess it was a little bit more than that, but. I was never, I never thought that Dane wasn't going to sign the extension. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. I had kind of thought that he wanted to not do it at midnight like some of these other, you, you saw at midnight on the first day of free agency, like Nikola Jokic got his deal with the Suns and, or with the Nuggets. Devin Booker got his deal with the Suns. Carl Pound got his with the Timberwolves. Dane wasn't one of the ones in the midnight slate, but uh, I think he just kind of wanted to wait and just make sure they, we're serious about adding guys and you know, adding win-now pieces around him, and I think that signing Gary Payton II and trading for uh, Jeremy Grant kind of gave him a little bit of reassurance, but I never thought he wasn't going to do it, though.
0: Let me ask you, you know, I wrestle a little bit with it's a lot of money for one guy, and when you look at his career earnings, you're talking about earnings that are up with Kevin Durant and some others who have had a lot more team success than Damian Lillard's had. But how much of the Blazers failure to to win big with Dame is on him and how much do you just say hey that's out of the control of star players
3: well I can think of somebody that it was in the control of who maybe could have done more to put pieces around him and build a roster that made sense than then Damian Lillard like look yes it it is a lot of like to me and you that's like a like $60 million a year, essentially, is, is what he's going to be getting on this new extension. To me and you, that's like a fake amount of money. That's like more more money than you and I are ever going to see in our lives. Like One check of that is probably more than either of us are going to see. But you know what? It's not our money. And also, I think, I think just seeing a lot of these numbers, I think a lot of people have not really adjusted to uh-huh. just what NBA salaries are now. About six years ago, seven years ago, when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors because the cap spiked you started seeing kind of these insane contracts, and the cap has only, like, continued to go up since then. And since the salary cap is a percentage of, you know, the league's revenue, the league made all this money off the TV deal, they're about to get another TV deal that's even bigger. Like, fans see, you know, the number like that, and it just, like, makes their heads explode. But that's just what NBA superstars get paid now.
0: We're talking to Sean Hyken, Rose City Report. That's where you can find his stuff now. Uh, Have the Blazers, has Joe Cronin done enough To surround Damian Lillard with talent, or is there a move left to be made?
3: Well, first of all, real quick, it's actually Rose Garden report, not Rose Rose Garden.
0: Rose Garden, my bad, my bad. Rose Garden report. No,
3: it's all good. It's all It's all good, good, man. It's all good. No, has he done enough? I think he has done the best that probably was available to him. Like it, it, it depends on what you like. I think if there's one thing you could say, oh, they could have done this more. They could have traded the number seven pick for whether it was OG Ananobi or John Collins. From what I understand, Toronto was asking for a lot in addition to the pick for Ananobi. And so the decision that they made was to, we're going to make some win now moves with Jeremy Grant, but then we're also going to kind of protect against that a little bit, you know taking an upside swing on a guy like Shaden Sharp. I think if they really were just the entire focus was just only building around Dame and only building on Dame's timeline, they would have done something with that pick as far as trading it for a veteran. But with them deciding not to do that, I think other than that, you know, considering how little they gave up, they only gave like a couple of future second round picks for Jeremy Grant or something that wasn't even really that big of of an expenditure. And then uh, Gary Payton, I think is going to fit in really well. They've gotten a lot better defensively with some of the guys that they've brought in. So, I think he's made them a lot better than they have been. I think that in terms of whether they, you know, are they up there with like the Golden States and the Phoenixes as far as how good their roster is, I still don't think they are. But I'm not sure realistically what move there is out there right now that would have made them into that tier.
0: Fair enough. Sean Heiken, with us with the Rose Garden report that you should be following him there. Sean, let me ask you, uh, the injury to Shaden Sharp, how concerned are you?
3: We still don't know the result of the MRI, but I, we were just earlier today. I'm in Las Vegas right now, actually, for Summer League, and we were just uh, asking Steve Hetzel, who is the assistant coach who's coaching a Summer League team, and he said that... Shaden felt good after the game. He felt fine. They held him out last night just kind of for precautionary reasons, but uh, that if the MRI comes back clean, that they were are going to be totally fine playing him, and they're not they're not just going to shut him down because he had this little shoulder tweak. I think it's, it, all, it all depends on how the MRI comes back, and we just don't have an answer on that yet.
0: What did you think uh, of, the, of the little you got to see him, uh, and what are players and people saying about Shaden Sharp? Well, he only
3: played for five minutes. He went, shot one for three from the field. It looked like he was kind of forcing things a little bit, which you would kind of expect from just a guy who hasn't played competitive basketball in over a year. But I've been going to their summer league practices all week before I flew out to Vegas, and guys, other guys on the team and Steve Hetzel and, like, what little I've been, you know, been able to kind of talk informally with, you know, other people on their staff. Like, everybody's raving about him. Everybody says, you know, uh keon johnson called him a freak athlete and everybody said that he's just incredibly talented and it's just a matter of is he going to be able to do this against nba level competition they feel like he can but uh we haven't seen it yet so you know we'll see but everybody in the building feels really positively about what they've seen from him in practices so far
0: sean the uh the report yesterday new york post uh about jody allen it was a lot to unpack, uh, and clearly I think the Blazer fan you know, base, the core of the base at least, would really love to see new ownership engaged, enthused. What do you think is going on between Phil Knight and Jody Allen right now?
3: Well, pretty clearly there's a big concerted effort from a lot of people, not just Phil Knight and Nike, but also... Now you're seeing the other day, Senator Ron Wyden gave an interview with the Lamont week where he was talking about how he would like for Phil Knight to buy the Blazers. And then you saw Adam Silver's comments last month at the, his press conference at the finals, where he basically said that the team is going to have to get sold. I think there are a lot of people who have an interest in Jody selling the team and not only her selling the team, but her selling the team to Phil Knight. Like they I think I think the league would really like for Phil Knight to be the next owner of the Blazers. Not just the team wants to be sold; they want him to be the guy. Like, now that he's interested and they put in this offer, how quickly it plays out, I do not know. I will say I will say. So after that New York Post uh, report came out yesterday, which I I read, I thought it was interesting. I'm still kind of unpacking a lot of the individual elements of it, but there's you know certainly a lot to get into in there. I did hear last night because I you know. I had the press conference in the morning, I flew to Vegas in the afternoon and I was there at the gym for their summer league game. And so while I was there, I was like talking to different people that I kind of saw in, in Vegas at summer league. And one thing I heard that I thought was interesting was several media outlets were quote unquote pitched, I guess, if you will, on that exact story that the post ran before the post, you know, and ended up being the ones that bid on it. So clearly like there are people who really want this out there about Jody Allen and, and like how quote unquote toxic she is and, all of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are more stories like that that come out uh, in you know, the coming weeks, just because it seems like there's really a big concerted effort being made by a lot of people right now to kind of force her hand into selling a team. I don't know how successful it's going to be or how, what timeline it might be. I still think that sale is going to get done in the next year, but this is just getting started.
0: Sean Heiken with us, Rose Garden Report. That's where you can read them. Um, so are you telling me that, you know, it doesn't surprise me, but are you telling me that, that somebody shopped that story around to various media outlets? Now, the stuff about the bones and the giraffe bones and the penguin school skulls, that, that's stuff that had been reported years ago, and it's come up here and there, but I've never seen it all in one place like that with the additional sort of hammer of Larry Miller who is uh, you know, uh, under the umbrella of Nike at, at Jordan brand, uh, also pointing a finger going, hey, it's, it's time for a change. Um, it, it does feel to me like you know there's a bit of a uh, campaign that is running out there to get ownership changed. And, and look, I support it because I feel like this franchise really just needs somebody to love it, and nurture it and care about it and have accountability.
3: I think a lot of fans feel that way. One thing I thought was interesting in the story was one of the – the only person that really talked on the record for that story was Larry Miller. And by the way, I, I, one thing I thought was interesting was that in the story, it didn't mention anywhere. It just referred to Larry Miller as a former Blazers executive. It didn't mention anywhere – that he has worked for Nike and has been the president of Jordan brand when the guy who founded Nike is the one trying to buy it. Like that's just something <laughs> I felt like maybe could have been mentioned in the story just for, yes. you know, on the, par- on the part of the writer. But, uh, but, uh, uh, that, that aside, uh, it, it, it does feel like it's, you know, a lot of people are kind of trying to make this happen. And I think a lot of fans would support, you know, there being, there being new ownership.
0: Yeah. The, the fans that are out there that are—I uh, don't hear people clamoring—and it's—it feels like it's the one thing that can unify the fan base. Like, do you think just a change of ownership would would cause the fan base to kind of galvanize again? I
3: mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. Oh, that would happen overnight because I don't think most fans. I mean, me and you, like, our job is to live and breathe this stuff. So you and I know all the intricacies of, you know, who owns this team, who's the general manager, like. Even the stuff last, uh, you know, in the last in the last year, like the the Chauncey Billups stuff, the Neil Olsei stuff, I don't think most fans, like the vast majority of people who are buying tickets, who are just kind of casually going to games and aren't really following, you know, the team on a day to day basis as far as the off court stuff, I don't think most people even really knew about a lot of that stuff or really cared about it or paid attention to it. So I don't know if it's just like you know somebody besides Jody Allen owns the team. I think like most fans probably don't even know who Jody Allen is, but I do think that if sale were to go through, especially if it were to be somebody like Phil Knight, who is the founder of Nike, which is like one of the most, you know, iconic and recognizable brands in the world of any kind, let alone just sportswear. Uh, I think that would get a lot of people's attention, and I think you would see over the next few years, in his first few years of ownership, whether you know what they would do with, you know, investing in different stuff, and you know, it's all going to come down to how competitive is the team going to be. I think people, you know, if 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 this new guy buys the team and then completely strips it down and does a rebuild, and it's like a five years of like being in the lottery every year, I think that, you know, no matter who owns the team, I don't think people are going to get excited about that. But if he, if you know, Phil Knight buys the team and then they're competitive right away, I think that, uh, you know, people are going to get excited about that.
0: Give me an idea of where how good you think this roster could be next year. Like, let's just say some things break their way. They don't have injury problems. Chauncey Billups coaches well. Uh, Dame's healthy. He comes back from the abdominal surgery, and he is relatively healthy. He plays kind of on the level that we expect him to play. What's the upside for this team? I think they can be a playoff team in the West. I don't
3: have them in the same tier as like the Golden States and the Phoenixes and if they're fully healthy, the other two teams I would put in the tier above Portland would be the Clippers and Denver. If Kawhi Leonard is healthy and if Jamal Murray is healthy, I think those are four teams that I would pretty clearly have above Portland. But then I would kind of have them in that next group with you know Minnesota now that they traded for Rudy Gobert, uh, New Orleans now that you know they're going to have a full year with CJ and Zion Williamson theoretically is going to be healthy. You know Memphis is you know still going to be pretty good like I would I would kind of have Portland in that second group where they could probably be like a five six seed to a play in type of team depending on how injuries shake out and how different stuff fits together but I, I think that I think they have a chance to be a playoff team that maybe even like went around
0: Sean Hyken how can people find the Rose garden report
3: uh, go to rose
0: and subscribe there's a lot
3: of free stuff but there's also a lot of paywall stuff that i think I, I i'm doing my best to make worse people's money and there's also a podcast that's also called the rose garden report that's free on all the usual apple spotify wherever nice. you usually get podcasts so all of all of that stuff you can just
0: go get. all right you're in vegas are you are you a gambler what's your game uh, I, am not, I am not i'm not. not at I all just, like you won't play no. a hand of one hand of blackjack that's never been my thing roulette
3: no i that's not really my thing man i just like i come out i've been coming out here for 10 years for summer league and it's just, that's just, i don't know that's just that whole that's just never been my thing you're
0: you are a, you are a winner because of that you know that you know because in the end the rest of us walk in there and we're throwing money at the casino so sean hyken you are <laughs> you are not only great on the nba you are smart in a casino
3: that's what, I mean, I get guess, I guess if you say so. <laughs> you are.
0: All right, appreciate your work, man, and your expertise. Thanks, Sean. Good to talk to you, John. All right, there he is, Sean Hyken. Check out Rose Garden Report. He does a good job covering the team. Lillard, two years, $122 million. I hope the Blazers in his tenure can compete again. Can they get, can they win a game in the Western Conference Finals? I'll shut up if they win a game in the Western Conference Finals. I'll stop bellyaching about uh, ownership. I'll stop complaining about coaching. I'll stop looking at the roster and going, gosh, the roster's broken. Uh, I have spent the better part of Lillard's career here looking at what Neil Olshay did around him and just shaking my head. There was so much that the Blazers could have done and the summer of 2016 was the worst of it, of it all as they overpaid for marginal talent, but, In the end, this is a franchise. I think the fans, uh, you know, look, my job as a radio show host and a sports columnist is to kind of say what I think, uh, report, you know, talk to people, interview people, right? You know, that's part of it. But i got to tell you, it's more fun for me when the teams are winning, and it's more fun for me when the fans are engaged. And I think right now the Blazers should be concerned. Like if they're not aware of the fact that the vast majority of their fan base Right now, if you put out a poll, would vote to replace your owner, then they're tone deaf. I think that there's a real disconnect right now between ownership, because it's absentee, and the franchise. Again, I'll come back and I'll say this. There are good people working at one center court. There are tremendously talented people who are working in sponsorship and ticket sales and on the business side of the operation, on the basketball side of the operation, they've got p- good people. But I think when you don't have that congruency of vision that should come from top down, your owner down to your general manager and your team president, to your coach, to your players, to you know all the way down to the ushers and the ball boys, like at the end of it, Uh, You don't have anything if you don't have that congruency of vision, and it breaks down for the Blazers at the top of the pyramid. It just breaks down. So good for Lillard. He got the money. I just hope that it's going to be money well spent in the end. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The
0: Game. Well, I wrote a piece today at johnconzano.com about USC and UCLA and Pac-12 Commissioner George Kliovkov. He was in Montana with his wife, taking a couple of days off uh, last week when the world of college football uh, dumped, uh, you know, got dumped on uh, its head. Uh, the commissioner... Uh, was uh, you know surprised like a lot of us what with what happened, but I am told that USC and UCLA were not happy having to share uh, get an equal share of revenue when it came to the Pac-12's TV deal. Uh, that they wanted uh, the commissioner to talk with them about getting more. Now they're gone. Okay, there's no putting USC and UCLA back in the Pac-12. That's not an option. They're gone. But now George Klyavkov has, I think, his first major crisis. Clearly it's a crisis, and he's got to solve it. And the world is watching, and the future of the Pac-12 is at stake. And this is like a movie, like give us all some popcorn, and let's see what happens. So the options that are on the table right now for the Pac-12, it seems to have, have uh, settled into a lull, and I told you it would two days ago. I didn't think that it was going to be a flurry of action after they had their 30-day negotiating window that they opened with ESPN and Fox. But I think what we're seeing now is the Pac-12 is trying to figure out, um, you know, do they form a loose partnership with the ACC and let ESPN sort of serve as the glue in that relationship? Do they raid the Big 12 for a couple of new members? Do they do both of those things? Do they partner with the Big 12? Do they add San Diego State, SMU, Fresno State, Boise State? Do they, Or do they stand at 10 members? As I think about those things, I want to know kind of where your head goes as a college football fan. Are you a fan of the idea of the Pac-12 staying as a 10-member organization, or do you think they should add some Big 12 members or look at San Diego State or Boise State or SMU or Fresno State? Let's talk about the job that Klyovkov has to do here, because he's either going to lead one of the great comeback stories in college athletics, or the Pac-12 is going to kind of fade away here. Judah Nuby, what what would you do if you're Klyovkov? or what would your where does your head go when I raise the idea of inviting new partners in, partnering with the Big Twelve, partnering with the ACC? Where does your head go?
4: Check one. You got me, Sean? I got you now. Awesome. All right. So probably I would say partnering with the uh, ACC makes the most sense. That being said, I'm seeing some of these reports, and, John, you've dumped some cold water on these social media reports, so I'm trying not to believe anybody other than you and John Wilner at this point. (laughs) Um, But the fact that, like, Clemson and Florida State might be sniffing around other, Mm -hmm. you know, possible... You know, ESPN-SEC partnerships makes me wary, if I'm George Klyovkov, that Jim Phillips has his internal house in order. You already saw Kevin Warren betray George. Jim Phillips doesn't seem like a guy that would want to betray George either, but that loose partnership, it's like, man, like, are we really going to try to do this again? And frankly, the ACC, you know, top programs that would most benefit the Pac-12 in a loose partnership don't seem like they're too eager to stay in the ACC. Therefore, even though the Big 12 seems like the lesser of the two partnerships, it might be the more stable. And if you're prioritizing stability, then that might be the best route to take. If you're the Oregon Ducks, I think you know partnering with the Big 12, getting you some games with BYU every year, getting you games maybe with Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU. I know it doesn't sound sexy on the face of it, but that might be the best play when it's all said and done.
0: I think there's two steps to this. And I want to put that same question out to our listeners at 503-417-7575. You tell me what uh, what appeals to you or what do you think George Klyovkov should do? I kind of feel like this is going to happen in two moves, two steps. Like, we all want it to be fixed with one move. Like, George Klyovkov invites, you know, the ACC to partner and that's it. And uh, the Pac-12 and the ACC dance off. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that, this thing is going to be fixed with one little move. I think it's going to take uh, a couple of steps. And I think step one, the goal for me, if I'm George Klyovkov, and step one is to stabilize the conference and to position it as the number three option in this landscape that is forming. Big Ten uh, it obviously has uh, USC and UCLA to add to Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State and Purdue and everybody else. And the SEC is the SEC. So what, what I think is forming is the SEC and the Big Ten obviously want to grab as many of those 12 potential playoff spots that will be available when they expand. And they are sort of gaming the system a little bit, as they always have to try to position themselves to get, you know, can we get four or five teams into this playoff? That's what they want because, you know, Bill Moose said it on our show earlier this week. The former Nebraska AD came on. He said, you know, he made this comment kind of late in the interview about the goal of the teams in college football used to be to win a national championship, and he feels like maybe that's unattainable for a lot of schools now. But that the new goal might just be to get to the playoff, get to the 12-team playoff, because if you do, you're going to presumably capture um, a huge windfall for your university and for your conference. Now, those conference members for the four-team invitational playoff, you know, at different points that number is escalated from 12 million to 15 million to $20 million. Those are huge paydays just for making the playoff. I suspect the TV deal for the new playoff when it comes out will be lucrative enough to uh, you know, result in 20 to $25 million paydays for the universities and their conferences who qualify for it. So if I'm George Klyovkov in the short term, I, my goal is I want the Pac-12, when the world looks at college football, I want the Pac-12 to be part of the group or, uh, or and part of the entity that is sitting in the number three position. Because you have the Big Ten, you have the SEC in the one-two position. You need a – that third position now is up for grabs. Now, I know the Big 12 is trying to uh, position itself to be the third option, and I know the ACC probably feels like if all thing if nothing happens, because they have Clemson, because they have Miami, probably slip in there as the number three. But the reality is it's two moves for Klyovkov. The first move is, hey – uh, we we need to position this as the number three option. And I think the partnership with the ACC does that effectively. Now, you talked about the reports on social media about Miami and Clemson sniffing around. I expect that they should sniff around, but the reality is their grant of rights, the contract that they have with their own conference uh, as it pertains to their media rights, it, it prohibits them from leaving Until 2036, unless the conference is merged with another conference or there's some kind of uh, realignment of the conference, there has to be a structural change to the members. It's why I think the Pac-12 is talking, quote unquote, loose partnership, because they don't want to end up in court with Miami and Clemson going, hey, hey, uh, we we can get out of the conference now because they added the Pac-12 to our conference. I think the ACC is going to go, no, we just have a loose partnership. We're going to play some crossover games. We're going to play some games at the end of the season uh, where we normally would play a conference championship game. You're going to play the, the Pac-12 champion, and we're going to all posture for the college football playoff selection committee. But if you have Clemson and Miami in your partnership, and you have Florida State in there, and you have Utah and Oregon in there, and Washington, and, you know, I think you have enough there. To maintain that you are the number three option I think the Big 12 cannot compete with that now that's step one step two for me then is about accelerating and long-term vision who do you want to be part of this conference I ultimately think there may be some buyers remorse on behalf of the Big Ten Conference I think a decade from now I will not be surprised if they look back and they go hey USC and UCLA they were great members they brought the LA market but man They aren't what they used to be. Because we've been saying that for, like, 15 years. USC's not what it used to be. Doesn't have the impact that it used to have. We've been saying that over and over again. So I think at that point, if you're George Kwiatkow, the second move here is to not allow the Big Ten and the SEC to take in any more blue-chip members. I think you have to be looking over and going, does geography matter? Can you have a Pac-12 conference that you could foresee – trying to lure Notre Dame or Clemson or Miami or Florida State into the fold? Does that make any sense to you? Well, maybe the short-term play with this partnership tells you a little bit about that travel and the stuff that I think would scare you away. Let's go to the phones. David is in Astoria. David, welcome to the conversation.
5: Hey, John. I have two uh, priorities in mind for this new football landscape and, and adjusting to it. First is stability, being an old fart. I don't like change. Uh, second is setting it up however we set it up so as to, as much as possible, prevent the gaming of the system that is going on. I, I really detest this whole uh, money is everything instead of, uh, instead of any, any sort of nod tradi- to tradition um, I don't like the disruption. I don't like the I don't like how it's going to end up. I can see how it's going to end up, but I don't like it. I, I think it's not good for college football. but in the meantime, uh, I'm perfectly happy not to worry my pretty little head about it, uh, the details and leave it to Kliovkov. He seems to be, one of a very few people in, in the, in the, uh, in the landscape that is best set up, uh, best equipped to come up with a good solution. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I, I haven't given a whole lot of thought to the details. I'm not, right. I don't really love the notion of traveling back and forth to the East coast on, uh, uh, on a, any sort of a partnership with the ACC, but, you know, I'm not welded to that
3: dislike.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and the, the thing I'm, about that is that you wouldn't be flying back and forth in all your sports, right? Because it's a loose partnership, maybe it's just a one-off uh, early season non-conference game where Miami's playing Oregon or Utah's playing Clemson. There's some new life uh, in the Big 12 world, the Big 12 talking about possibly absorbing some Pac-12 teams, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on that, but we'll address it in the next segment. I want you to leave it here. Back
1: to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: If you're a Pac-12 fan, it's been a wild, uh, what, seven, eight days? In Big 12 country, they are talking still about the Big 12 absorbing Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. They're now talking about them also taking Oregon and Washington to try and form an 18-team league. Uh, John Wilner tweeted out just a few minutes ago, he said he wondered, well, why would you do that? Why would you pass on two more schools that deliver the uh, sixth biggest market in the country? He's talking about Stanford and Cal. At that point, though, if you're adding Stanford and Cal plus you're adding six other teams, you're adding eight teams to the Big 12, that's not the Big 12 poaching the Pac-12. That is a merger at that point. Uh, And I believe, you know, at least the sources that I'm trusting They're telling me that there is a bigger incentive for uh, the Big 12 to take Pac-12 schools than the other way around, meaning that the Big 12 right now is desperate for survival. It is desperate, and and it doesn't have a potential partnership with the ACC to lean into. Uh, The presidents and chancellors of the ACC align themselves with the academics at Stanford and Cal and the academics at Washington and Oregon, and, and they say, you know, that is a better fit for us. So the Big 12's only move, only play here, is to try to poach teams from the Pac-12. That's their that's their best path to relevance. And frankly, uh, it's a survival tactic because if you're the Big 12, your biggest concern has to be that George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, is going to partner with the ACC and then – Set his sights on Houston or Baylor or Oklahoma City or uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State, and, or uh, you know maybe even look at adding BYU to the Pac-12, and all of a sudden the Big 12 starts to really wobble, and after that, can it even exist? So I understand why the Big 12 would go on offense here, because if you're on offense, uh, you know at least you're you're trying to win while uh, the others are the world around you is spinning, and and I think. It makes sense to me. I, I am told, I'm going to reach back out to some of my sources here on the commercial break, but I am told, I have been told by multiple sources in the Pac-12 of the universities that I mentioned, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, people who are high-ranking officials at those universities have told me that there is nothing to them potentially leaving for the Big 12 Conference. Now, as we know, stuff can change. So don't kill me if it turns out in the end, if you know, the Pac-12's plan to partner with the ACC disintegrates, uh, if the Big 12 then starts to poach. And if that happens, I think that the best contingency plan for the Pac-12 would be to partner and merge with the Big 12 Conference to create um, you know, what should be the next league. Uh, meanwhile, if you are Miami, and you are Clemson in particular, maybe even Florida State, you have to be looking at the $35 million you're getting in TV money from your deal with the ACC, and you have to be jealous of what the SEC is getting. We'll talk all about it in the 4 o'clock hour. Punch and Audio is ahead.
1: B.F.T. From the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: I'm working on some things. I've reached out to some well-placed sources in the Pac-12 to ask how likely and how confident they are, that the conference at this point will keep the the ten core members intact. I think that's the question to ask. And I feel like they were galvanized 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago. I'm not saying they're not now, but I want to know. I want to know, going into the weekend, how tight the circle of trust is. George Costanza, Jerry Seinfeld, the circle of trust Judah Newby, Sean, before we get into Punch and Audio, that circle of trust, who do you worry about jumping next if you're the Pac-12? Because obviously they didn't see UCLA and USC coming, but uh, who do you worry about?
4: Uh, I never trust Ray Anderson.
0: Arizona State.
4: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm worried about him, because if they want to leave, fine. Yeah. He's to me.
0: Arizona State, uh, the, one, of the, uh, one of the schools has been rumored to be a target of the Big 12 Conference. Sean, who do you worry about?
2: Uh, I can't say I have a, hu- a great read on the uh, university presidents, but Stanford. I'm going to go with Stanford. Mm. Just okay. uh, something about Stanford. Maybe I'm just a Duck fan that it's has a, a lot of that. bad memories, yeah. but uh, I'm just going to go with Stanford here.
0: Stanford works because Bay Area, sixth largest media market in the country. Stanford brings a little bit of brand with it. Uh, I asked uh, Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks, uh, to give me a valuation on Stanford's media rights, and he put it at $45 million a year, which was better than Washington and Oregon, who he put at $30 million a year. So they are attractive. I think. But I think Stanford becomes really attractive to the Big Ten in particular. I think it's the only place they could go would be the Big Ten Conference. And I think the only way they go is if Notre Dame is also going. And I think they become a partner. We all know they have a natural rivalry with Notre Dame and and I I think that's the only way they kinda wiggle away. I'm a little worried about Oregon too. I think Oregon is a little squirrely. Yeah. With Phil Knight. He's impatient. You know, he's eighty four. He doesn't have time to sit around and wait for this thing to kinda work itself out. Like he's got a I think he's a bit of a fixer too. So do you guys think Oregon because I was told early on by a couple of ADs in the conference, if Oregon and Washington stay, the conference stays together. That was the rally cry.
2: I, I have a quick question for you, really, actually, before we answer that one. Um, do you think Stanford and Cal could ever be Ivy League teams? You said just the Big Ten for Stanford.
0: <sighs> I I think academically they certainly fit, and their their, their mindset about athletics fits. Because I think they are. both those universities are a threat, I think, to drop football at some point and just go, hey – you know, we're in the Olympic sports game, but a,
4: th- a threat to drop football—that's pretty. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a, a threat. Yeah, you to know drop... what I mean? Like right,
0: exactly. uh, a candidate. Let's right. just say they're a no, candidate. I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. There, there's a candidate because I, mean, I think. Look, you go to Stanford games. I, you know, I've been to a couple Stanford games in the last two years. Hardly anybody's going. It's really kind of sad because David Shaw, I think, over the years has done a really nice job at Stanford. I think he's done everything he could possibly do. Um, Stanford's got money. So it's this is not a this is not hey football's costing us too much because you know, it was pointed out that Stanford with their endowment could buy the Big 10 conference. <laughs> they could buy the whole conference. <laughs> and they could just be like we own the Big 10 now. And but it I think Stanford's mission where you have we're moving towards a model in college athletics where the players are going to get paid. Like we're moving in that direction. It is going to be a professional league. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's going to happen and in the next decade where the players are going to get paid by the universities. They're going to be employees of the universities. That's, that's going to happen. I don't think that fits what Stanford thinks college athletics should be. And I don't know if Cal can afford it. And so I think there are candidates maybe to end up somewhere else, but the geography really doesn't work with the Ivy league. Does it
4: does geography work? I mean, does geography matter anymore?
0: (sighs) I, I thought it did, you know, I take my phone out. I try to find out where I'm going. If I need to go to the you know, Milwaukee Lumber or I need to you know, go to a restaurant or something, I'm, I map it. It matters to right. me. I, I'm, not like, I'm not in L.A. going, where do I want to eat? And I end up in a restaurant in Chicago. Yeah. Like, but that's what UCLA and USC just did. So
4: you're saying that Stanford, because of the culture, the reputation, you know, the, the fundamental nature of, of who they are, they wouldn't be a prime candidate to go for the money grab. No. In theory right? Uh, Yeah. And that's why they wouldn't necessarily just be jumping to go to the big 10, even though if Notre Dame also went to the big 10, that would keep Notre Dame Stanford rivalry there. And it would also bring in the Notre Dame USC rivalry, which is naturally there anyway. I mean, the Irish going to the big 10 makes the most sense to me. I have no, I don't know why they would want to go anywhere else.
0: Yeah. And I think, and I think there would be some pause too, because they would be leaving Cal behind. And I, you know, and I think look, I, I don't think that Oregon would hesitate in leaving Oregon state behind. I don't think Washington would hesitate to leave Washington state behind, but I think there's something about Stanford and sort of what the identity and the culture of that campus is. I think they would kind of consider themselves above, as you pointed out the money grab above sort of the, uh, you know, the uh, when it all costs mentality. And, and I think, when Stanford doesn't win, I, I hear that from faculty and from alumni that, you know, they really would love to win and matter, but, you know, we're not going to do what, what uh, you know, Ohio State does trying to win. Like, you know, we're Stanford. So I think there is, there would be a little pause there from Stanford. And I've heard people, you know, surmise that Stanford and Cal could drop football in 20 years from now not being playing football but i think it would be really sad i mean you know first of all cal has 100 million dollars in debt still on the stadium that they have rebuilt for football and i think it would be really sta- sad with the history of stanford football to see a college landscape without stanford football so uh, do you I think that keep an eye on that
4: phil Knight's obviously he's you know deep in with oregon
0: but the stanford
4: connection is a real one with with phil do you think he wants to see oregon and stanford stick together in this, or does he is he just fully vested in what's best for the Ducks at this point?
0: I don't have that answer, and I my suspicion was my suspicion is that Phil Knight loves all of his children equally, but I think he has poured way more money into Oregon football, and he, there is part of him though that we have seen this. You know, he went out and he paid part of Pat Casey's contract. Uh, you know, helped Oregon State retain Casey. He had a suite at Research Stadium. Um, I think in an ideal world, Phil Knight would have preferred to see Oregon in the old Pac-12 that he grew up with, make the playoff, win a national championship, uh, spike the ball in the end zone at the end, and he walks off into the sunset with Penny. And that's the movie. Roll the credits. But we're in this landscape now where the Pac-12 is teetering a little bit. So I would think his his preference would be Oregon – to get Oregon first, get the oxygen mask on Oregon first, and then worry about Stanford and everybody else. I, I really do think that. But, you know, there are some people in the conference, and I wrote this very early. Uh, you know, maybe it was like the Friday or Saturday. It was like the second day after the after this happened. You know, I had a bunch of people inside the Pac-12 conference who said, Canzano, the column that you need to write is Phil Knight could save the Pac-12 conference. He could write the check. He could save it. His clout, even if it was rhetorical, his backing of the Pac-12 would save the conference. I thought that was a really interesting thought. Uh, One of the things I'm going to uh, publish here shortly uh, at johnconzano.com. If you subscribe, you'll get it immediately in your inbox. Uh, One of the things I'm going to publish is going to be five things that I learned today. Here's a little nugget that I learned today that will be included. Um, This is interesting. I found out today that in 2019, what was that, three years ago? Remember when Larry Scott was trying to get um, private equity firms to to, uh, invest in the Pac-12? Remember all that, Judah? I do. (laughs) Okay. It's a wild thing. I found out today that they got an offer. They got an offer of $1 billion for 15% of the league. And... Guess who killed the deal? Take a stab. Who wasn't interested? I mean, uh, two universities.
4: Okay, two universities were not interested in a one billion dollar offer for fifteen percent. Fifteen percent of they the killed.
0: League. They essentially killed it.
4: I mean, I'm not an ASU guy, so I would guess ASU was one of them. How about how about oh, US, no, US USC right. the and LA UCLA? I'm sorry, the LA schools. Yeah, you, I think that, I go. think they
0: already were plotting.
4: You know what, and here's another thing. I, I woke up in the middle of the night with this thought. I kid you not. No wonder Chip Kelly's extension got so, it, we, we waited so long to, to know. Yeah. I mean, you were reporting on it, and w- there was all tension with him and Jarmond, and maybe that's accurate, but in reality, I'm sure he probably wanted to know the Big Ten future with the Bruins, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, Lincoln Riley sure as hell didn't agree to his deal without knowing the Big Ten move. It does not happen without the head coaches knowing. We're talking about the circle. I guarantee you the circle extended to the head coaches.
0: It is why somebody at USC told me they could not believe it didn't get out. Now, it's interesting. Oregon landed a big-time quarterback recruit today. Mm It was a big get. Utah added uh, a couple of four-star linemen. Oregon State's killing it in recruiting right now. Jonathan Smith is cleaning up. Like he's getting players he never had access to before. I mean, it may be a little short sighted to say this, but I don't believe the recruits, like we had Greg Biggins on earlier this week. He said recruits are not tuned into this crap. Like they're you know, they want to go to Oregon or they want to go to Washington, or they want to go to UCLA. That's where they go. They're not worried about who's playing and what conference, whatnot. It that seems to be holding up at least, you know, in the first week of this because it was interesting that Oregon Oregon got their guy like that was big
4: that's huge there there's no doubt that's huge i think division street is working extra hours this mm-hmm. week and probably for the foreseeable future as well as uh can't remember what Oregon State's one is called but you know i'm sure they're put they got that four-star pass rusher last week that's big deal yeah. for them that's awesome for them but don't you think that it's more in about two or three years that we'll see ramifications yes. of the recruiting world? Because yeah. then it's mamas yeah. that are saying, I can't see my kid on TV. But you know who I can see? USC and UCLA playing in great time, time windows for me in the Midwest and on national TV every week. And where are the Pac-12 schools? I can't find them. Are they yeah. on Apple? Where are they?
0: I think, you know, when you unpack this all, it, it is going to be five to seven years from now before we're going to know. But when they redo this playoff, mark my words, when they, read, when they expand yes. the playoff, they are going to um, – it is going to be a competition between the Big Ten and the SEC to see how many damn teams they can get in there. There won't be automatic qualifiers. They, they will control it the same way they controlled the BCS, the same way they control this four-team invitational tournament that they call the playoff. They're going to control it, and they're going to try to game it and, and say, look, we want – you know. We have eighteen members or we have sixteen members. Well we want four of our members in this thing. Uh, and they're gonna shut out the Boise states, the San Diego states. They may shut out some of the Pac-Twelve schools, but I think the the short term race, I said it in the earlier last hour, you know, the short term race for the Pac-Twelve is to position itself as the number three option. That's where they are right now. Uh, let's take a break. Anna's gonna join us, we'll play some punch It audio. You got the BFT statewide. <laughs>
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: They held a memorial service uh, today, a celebration of life for Harry Glickman, the godfather of sports in the state of Oregon. Harry Glickman, uh, all he did it was promote sports and promote boxing matches, and hell, he brought an NFL exhibition game to the city of Portland. People forget that, and it, Harry Glickman brought the Blazers here. Were you aware that he brought an NFL exhibition game to Portland, you guys? Did you know that?
2: I was not. What teams?
0: Uh, I'm looking it up right now. I believe Cleveland Browns were one of them. I think Jim Brown was part of it. Yeah. And uh, Judah, did you know that? I, I thought I saw the 49ers played a
4: preseason game in Portland but I don't know if that was a Glickman operation or not and that may have been like a long time ago
0: the uh Cowboys and Rams played a game at the Pendleton rodeo oh how about that uh, you also had uh, an NFL exhibition game at uh, Civic Stadium it was uh you had the New York Giants play the Cardinals the Chicago Cardinals played there uh you also saw that the um uh, I'm looking more into this. Uh, Harry Glickman also brought the Browns there. He brought the Dallas Cowboys to Forest Grove in 1960. They held their training camp at Pacific University in 1960. Um, there was, uh, there was a, a whole bunch of momentum for the Delta, the Delta Dome project, and there's speculation that if Portland had built the Delta Dome, that it would have been Portland, not Seattle, that would have been home to the Seahawks. How about that?
4: Harry, like that? Harry Glickman. I mean, we could yeah. really use some vision like he had. Right, right about now, people with big plans and yes. the uh, the muscle to to get behind it. I mean, obviously, it's Phil Phil is doing what he can, but it's been a tough week for Phil. I uh,
0: I I was sad that Harry died. I I went to coffee with him a couple of times in his late years, and. You know, he was in a wheelchair at the end but man his brain was still sharp and he could still talk sports and he still understood what uh promotion was and he was on me about major league baseball to portland he was telling me that in order to get mlb to portland you needed a few things this was what harry told me he said one you need a group that knows what the hell they're doing and he thought that craig cheek's group with mike barrett and the diamond project uh, you know that they were doing the right things Two he said, you need political will. You're going to need city and state officials to get behind this in the way that they get behind it in Vegas. And he's right about that. And then three, he said he said they need somebody like you. He said to bang the drum, advocate for this, advocate for this to happen. He says they need somebody to uh, to sort of uh, you know be the rally uh, to issue the rally cry for it. but um, I think it's different times now. You look back at the Blazers coming to Portland. You look back at you know the story of the raincoat that Harry Glickman. You know he, you know he uh, essentially lo- basically locked himself in the bathroom while he was waiting for uh, the uh, the check to come in and the financial <laughs> commitment to come in so that he, that Portland could get the NBA team. And then he did a really smart thing when you know he knew promotion like better than anybody. When Portland you know came to when the Blazers came to Portland. In 1970, it was, you know, it was essentially Harry going. We got to barnstorm this state and play a bunch of exhibition games and preseason games because we got to introduce ourselves to people. And they did that. And he had the foresight to hire Bill Shanley as his broadcaster. He knew Shanley from baseball and hockey, and he brought Shanley in. And you know, it was uh, it was uh, a, a real celebration today of Harry Glickman. And I'm glad that you know he got that and I'm glad that so many people Terry Porter was speaking Terry Porter broke down and uh was crying and you know uh, Bill Shonley was not there I'm told Sean's may be back in the hospital uh you know with uh, he has dealt off and on with uh, issues with his health and his hip and uh I will check in with Sean's just to see how he's doing but you know he's 94 years old he and Harry Glickman uh two peas in a pod I can remember one time I went to lunch with Sean's and we went to Huber's, uh, the oldest restaurant, get that turkey sandwich at Huber's. And we walked into Huber's, and Harry Glickman was sitting in a booth. And I'll never forget, like, Harry's voice, just that booming voice across the restaurant. Sean's! You know, and then uh, just to see those two guys talk to each other was really cool. But you talk about people who make plans. Like, a lot of people will look at, nowadays, the, the uh, billion-dollar stadiums that are being built and the franchises that are there and... Uh, you know these are not like small transactions, but I can't imagine how insurmountable it must have felt in nineteen late 1960s when either you know the rest of the sports world was you know major cities were getting teams when Harry Glickman said why not Portland and that's how the Blazers ended up in Portland. Uh, all right, Anna's gonna join the show uh, coming up. Uh, by the way, guys. Can, do you think we will ever get – like, ownership has changed so much over the years. Like, now you don't see one person owning, like, 100% of a team. You see, like, a group of 20, 25 people. Is it possible, like, that one person could play the role in a city the way Harry Glickman played in the city of Portland? I don't
4: I don't know if that can ha- – if it could, it would be in a place like Portland, frankly, where – yeah, you know, and I would say Phil here, but he is 83, and he already kind of has a certain legacy of his own. You know, um, it would it would need to be in a place like like Portland, Oregon. It would need to be in a place like uh, I think the Pagula family is welcomed in Buffalo, right? Uh, markets like this where you still have the small town feel, but boy, do that does that market love their professional sports teams? And you could have that influence. Uh, maybe a David Tepper in Carolina. Um, but in most scenarios, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get the conglomerate. Smolinsky is interested, like, you know, Alan Smolenski, and you put it in your, your column in JohnKazano.com recently, the real estate background gets me excited. You know, he's not a yes. Portland guy per se, but when it's a truly healthy, viable ownership situation, you can see it. You can see it. And you can't see it right now with whatever the Rose quarter is these days. But my mind goes to a Phil Smolinsky partnership, and obviously, you know, we, we know where it stands in the negotiations with Jody. But that matters to me. Smolinski's role, I think, would be massive, and you could see and feel it in a, in a newly revamped, well-done Rose Quarter. That gets me excited, but, you know, to get back to your original question, I'm not sure if you can get that individual influence in in your typical ownership group um these days but if it did happen it would happen in a market like this
0: and you're right about kind of the idea that like alan smolinski made his fortune uh, adam smolinski made his fortune uh he was a student at usc and he looked around and he said gosh there's a real shortage of student housing and he partnered with another student and they started buying distressed apartment buildings and rental houses and they built an empire, and he made billions doing that. He is now the largest landowner in the area surrounding USC, and now he owns the Dodgers. And so the part of Smolinsky being involved with Phil Knight's bid for the Blazers that really gets me excited has nothing to do with the Dodgers. It has nothing to do with sports. It is a development play. Mm-hmm. It's what you talked about. Like, it's the it's – the, It's the uh, non-functional, ugly, um, you know, eyesore that is all around Moda Center right now. And I'm not talking about just the fact that you've got people living in tents and garbage and graffiti. I'm just saying this in general. It's kind of outdated. It's concrete. The traffic flow doesn't make sense. It's really hard when you're traveling down to Moda Center to go to a concert or a game. Like, you know, it's really hard to get in and out of there. And, and it just doesn't make sense. So Smolensky being involved with that, like, this is a guy who understands opportunity. I really do think you could end up with an entertainment district. You could end up with restaurants and housing. And, hey, let's go down to the game. It's not going to be a pain in the ass to get there. We can park easy. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, we can go to a restaurant and, you know, we can spend six or eight hours there instead of just (laughs) going to the game and then getting the hell out of there as fast as you can.
4: Which, by the way, that would also be how you get the political will on your side, too, right? As, like, the politicians in this city now are like, oh, that's a place people want to be and want to go, and that's a good thing for our PR now as opposed to being a sore spot. And then, man, you mentioned, uh, you know, Craig and Mike and and the guys with the Diamond Project – is that, you know, I know they got a list of investors, right? And I don't know who those investors are. But at one point, a few years ago, you know, they got a lot of money committed toward them, did they not? Um, with some investor list? Am I remembering that right? They
0: they had they had about a billion and a half dollars in commitments. But Any, any sniff of yeah. Phil
4: around that or no? Uh,
0: I don't think so. I don't okay. think he's interested in baseball. I, right. I, I do know that they approached him. Uh, I don't think he's interested. And in fact... I think the last time they approached him was right before it came out that he had made the bid on the Blazers. And I think that was that may have been part of him coming public is that they were asking him about baseball and the refrain came back, you know, not not interested in baseball, interested in something else. Turns out it was the NBA and the Blazers.
6: Uh, Sounds like
2: me. Sounds like my sports fan. I'm not not a baseball fan either, Phil Knight.
0: (laughs) There you go. All right, Anna's popping in the studio next. Uh, What bugs you? What's your peeve? Yeah, we're going to do that. Do you have a peeve? It's a Friday. Let's do it. 503-417-7575. What has been bothering you? Get it off your chest now.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: We have arrived at the point of the week where we help you as a public service to get whatever it is that's been bothering you off your chest. You have a neighbor who's bugging you? You don't like the price of gasoline? What's annoying you? What just popped into your head when I said all that? That's what you need to call in and share with us at 503-417-7575. What is your peeve? We're going to do this every Friday. We've done this every Friday for the uh, for some time, but I want to know what your peeve is. I want to know what's on your mind. What are you being bothered by? You tell me 503-417-7575. Sean, you're going to give us your peeve. Judah, you're give your peeve. Anna's here. Anna you, you don't walk around like anything's bothering you. You just really? always, You always look like nothing's bothering
6: you. You're being facetious.
0: You always look that way.
6: No, really? Yep. Oh, come on.
0: So you tell me.
6: I don't have like a resting angry face?
0: Nope. <laughs> you tell me what's your peeve. But I, I want to let Judah go first. Judah, what's your peeve? Okay, I'm going to have more than
4: one. Uh, because I I I know I've got more than one, but I need to make sure I okay. I articulate them well. But my number one peeve is uh, Jody, and uh, my number two peeve is Larry Miller. At this point, actually, and I know it's a sports related thing. Okay, but I think it was the wrong move to go to the New York Post. If it was the New York Times, mm. I think it would be better. Well, but bothered you. No one takes the New York Post seriously, like. I don't know if Phil asked Larry to do it or not, but uh, I think it was the wrong move because I think Jody's going to take this very personally and do whatever she can now to drag this out as long as possible, make it painful, because she doesn't give a rat's ass about anybody besides herself. That's the way it goes.
0: Yeah, I think when you go to the New York Post, there's a certain level of skepticism that comes along with it. Um, I, I do think it's interesting, you know, we found out earlier in the show that apparently that Story was shopped to multiple news agencies before it landed at the New York Post, but I, what, the I, Wall Street I, Journal couldn't print it. Huh? I think it's not that it's not newsworthy. There, a lot of that stuff about Jody, the penguin skulls, the giraffe bones, the sexual harassment lawsuits—that's been reported. Yeah. I've read that. Like, and also, can I yeah. can I
4: say something a little controversial? Yeah, go ahead. Who cares? Not that that stuff is not wrong and bad, because it is, but does anybody really care? Like, are we thinking less of Jody today than we did? No, because we all knew that already, and it's so damn eccentric and weird, and like, does anybody really care about that? Is that really that much of a smear campaign?
6: I care. I care. I know I've read it before, but I had kind of forgotten about it, and then reading it all over again, it bothered me. Just because, you know, we have kids and we talk with them all about conservation and they love animals. And uh, I mean, just the notion that there are still people in the world that are like contributing to the black market trade of ivory in Africa and paying Mm -hmm. bribes to, you know, get penguin bones and giraffe bones out of places is um, disturbing to me. So I might be alone in that. I might be the only one that's bothered by it, but it no. bothers me, Judah.
0: Well, but that's why we do this segment because then Judah can say this is what bothers him and then you can go this is what bothers me and then I can say this is what bothers me <laughs> after that. But you know, I I care about this stuff because it speaks to her character. I'm interested in it though for a different reason. I'm interested in like the lifestyles of the rich and famous because I think when you are a billionaire on a 20 to 40 billion dollar level, you uh, probably have to get pretty weird to get excited about something. Like, you know, it probably doesn't move the needle. Like for me, you know, uh, what, what, what gets me uh, jazzed? You know, uh, a couple of days at the coast with the kids. That, you know, if I tell a billionaire that, they're going to be like, no, you need to go to a private island <laughs> where you have butler service and somewhere that, you know, we didn't even know was on the map. You know, I sat on a plane next to a guy once who was telling me that. I sat in first class, right, one of these upgrade opportunities for me. But I sat next to this guy who who said he was coming back from a private island. And I was like, tell me about that. And he spent about 20 minutes telling me about something I know I will never do. But I think for Jody, like maybe collecting giraffe bones or penguin skulls, maybe that floats <laughs> her boat. I don't know. I, what are you, you know?
2: I think what Jody is saying is like, the Jody Allen thing isn't very controversial at this point. Like, no one wanted Jody Allen to be the owner before that article, and no one wants her to be the owner now. Oh, so like I, think, I get it. I think, you know, I'm not trying to put words in Judah's mouth, but for me, I kind of feel the same way. Like, this isn't really, like, a, it's not a topic of discourse. Like, everyone's just kind of beating this drum of, like, Jody not being the owner. The reason the article interested me is because like when there is an article like that that just kind of goes over everything that they're doing wrong like the same thing happened with neil o'shea last summer like i think it was the new york times dropped an article about neil o'shea and that was kind of the beginning of his end as soon as everyone saw like all these wrong things in addition to his bad management and his bad moves so that's kind of the reason i was excited to see an article like that like kind of a hit piece that could be the beginning of the end for (laughs) Allen. well
0: I feel like it is the beginning of the end because as I poked around last night uh, with this story, like to be clear, if you're just tuning in, New York Post wrote a story. Basically, Larry Miller, who is with the Jordan brand at Nike, um, knows Phil Knight very well, knows Adam Silver well, former president of the Blazers. He went forth and basically just skewered Jody Allen, basically pointed toward broken culture, the toxic culture of the franchise, Neil O'Shea's actions, whatnot. And blistered her in there. Though they also mentioned some stuff that is like a decade old about the you know 15 civil lawsuits that were filed by the security guards that the bodyguards that that uh, worked for Paul Allen and Jody Allen. Uh, the fact that she put him in apparently put him in short shorts and asked him to do a fashion show. It's not my thing, but when you're a billionaire, maybe that's your thing. I don't know. But it it I am told that first of all, Larry Miller would not have gone public like that without Phil Knight knowing about it. Second of all, it probably had Adam Silver's blessing as well, given the relationship with Ooh. Phil Knight, given the relationship with Larry Miller. You know They know Adam Silver well. I don't think that they would go after one of Adam Silver's owners without him going, you know, this is like a mob movie. You know, do, you, do we have your, your blessing? You're not going to retaliate against us if, you know, <laughs> if we make the hit. Uh, I kind of feel like that the NBA probably doesn't want Jody Allen to be the owner either. Hmm. i say it.
4: The three things that happened this week in order, right, were the uh, Jody Allen statement, 10 to 20 years, right, we're not for sale, the New York Post story, and then the Damian Lillard extension.
2: Shaden Sharp hurt his shoulder. Well, yeah. Who
4: cares? <laughs> we expected that
0: Blazers <laughs> yeah. draft a player. We sort of expect about That's three right. days. Sorry, you're right. Three days before there's an injury for, report. For
4: sure, Pitt hurt his first game. Yeah,
6: he already hurt his shoulder. I'm just catching up. On I'm just that. glad it's a
4: shoulder. Oh, you know what not I mean?
6: A knee. Not... Protect the knees. <laughs> is, that, is that like progress?
0: You know, I don't know. It's not a knee. Rise right. with
4: us on my shoulder.
0: What my, is my okay, point? Being ahead. those three
4: yeah. things are all calculated. Like I think the Lillard news today is calculated on behalf of one center court. Like I think he agreed to this a long time ago, and they're just looking for some other good PR right now.
0: I, I think you're probably right. And uh, you know, obviously USC and UCLA. This is an ongoing story. Uh, I want to know your peeve if you're out there listening. What is bothering you? What's on your mind? Judah has shared some. Anna has shared some. Sean's going to share. I'll share. But I want yours as well at 503-417-7575. Let's grab a call from Mark in Beaverton. Mark, what's your peeve?
5: John and Anna, so my biggest pet peeve right now is a neighbor next to me is moving out of state. And it's such a huge pet peeve because now i have to train the next guy who moves in to not be a jerk if he is a jerk you know i love my neighbors and so i just wish he wouldn't move but that's my biggest pet
0: peeve it's like he has to go somewhere he has to move
6: <laughs> you have to train the new neighbors yeah you do
0: you do have to kind of train your neighbors you know <laughs> there's a lot I of know. people
6: that's that can relate John, did I... you have to train your neighbors
0: i'm sure right yeah of course
6: I don't train our neighbors. Oh, yeah,
0: you do, but you don't know it. What like, do you mean? I'll tell you this, Mark. Our neighbors probably, I can tell you what they what they think of us. They probably think Anna's the greatest thing ever. She's so friendly. She's so nice. Why doesn't John ever, he doesn't even talk to us. That's <laughs> that's what they say. And, it, and I love my neighbors. I said this on the show the other day. I made the comment on the show about our neighbor who's down the street. He's a an old baseball player. And I said he always wants to talk to my dad when my dad visits. And then I said, you know, uh, I, I, said, you know I don't even get to hardly talk to my dad when my dad visits. I want to spend my time with him. Uh, guess what? I was out front the other day, Anna. That neighbor came over and said, hey, hey, one of my friends told me you were talking about me on the show. He wasn't mean about it. But I said, hey, as it so happens, my dad happens to be here. I went in the house and got my dad, and they had their conversation, and I felt like, okay, all is well in the world. There you go. I'm a friendly neighbor. I'm not antisocial. <laughs> I'm just, you know, for me, sometimes I don't have time to have this long conversation out in the cul-de-sac like everybody else. Yeah. I, I look and I go, man, I got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. I would love to have that conversation, but.
6: Would you? Would you really? Yeah, I would.
0: <laughs> I, I, I actually like most of our neighbors. <laughs> I do. I'm not gonna say I'm a hundred percent. You know who would be a hundred percent? You
6: always look at me like I'm insane at Christmas time when we go yeah. around the whole neighborhood delivering cookies. Yeah, to what are you, Santa Claus? I don't. It's just, it's just my thing. I like it. Yeah, it's I not. Like hey, it.
0: look, I'm just glad it's not penguin skulls and giraffe bones. Like, <laughs> you know, if that's your thing, that's fine. I can yeah. live with it. What is your peeve? I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. You got the BFT.
1: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: What is your peeve? What is it that you are What is it that you are uh, bothered about? What is irking you? I want to hear from you in Klamath Falls if you're listening on 960 a.m. or in Douglas County. If you're listening in Roseburg on 1490 AM, and certainly the Fox Sports Eugene crowd, you have to have something on your mind today that, bo- that is bothering you. If you're listening on 1050 AM in Eugene, I want to hear from you. And, of course, if you're streaming the show wherever you are in the Pac-12 footprint or beyond, I want to hear from you. Call now at 503-417-7575. Tell me what's bugging you. Sean, what's your peeve?
2: Oh, man, I haven't gotten the chance to tell this story on the air yet, but I told Judah about it. Uh, I had to move apartment units because—and I wasn't going to tell this story until everyone started bringing up neighbors. Um, I had a neighbor that was below me that was constantly um, Mm. yelling at me for basically just walking around my apartment. Like, he just didn't like the footsteps. And— Uh, I couldn't control the footsteps, so basically, like, I had this neighbor who, you know, he confronted me once. I said, I'm sorry, and then after he confronted me the first time, he just took a broom, basically, and I'm above this guy, and just basically banged on my floor, and so I would just be startled, uh, you know, what just happened, and uh, it was just me walking around my apartment, basically, so I had to, you know, hit a boiling point. And I had to move apartments, and um, this was all – I had to move apartments. Thankfully, my parents helped me. They were, uh, they were great. But I had COVID the same week I had to move apartments. So it was just a uh, – it was about two weeks ago. This was just a crazy week.
0: Uh, let me ask you, have you been accused of being heavy-footed before? No, no. Like you've never had a complaint you know, like you know, you know. Everybody has their thing. Some people chew loud. Some people they walk heavy. They stomp around. You know, you you know, you've never had anybody go, Sean. You know, I really think the world of you, but man, when you walk around, it's like there's cement in your shoes. You've never heard that.
2: Never that one. <laughs> never that one. I've been told. I've been told I'm a uh, I'm a loud sleeper. You know, for anyone that sleeps in the same vicinity. <laughs> what, as me. What, do you,
0: what do you mean you're a loud sleeper?
2: Like I'm, a, I'm a snorer. I'm a snorer? talker. Oh yeah, wow, yeah, just a loud, obnoxious sleeper. That you don't, you don't want to. Yeah. yeah, but uh, you, never that one. Never. Don't that yeah. put
0: that on your Tinder profile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> people don't want that one. You don't want people knowing about that till they can find it out themselves. That's right. That's you know, right. we don't share that around. So what? So what happened? Like when the guy's pounding on. The ceiling. Oh man! What are you doing uh, back? Oh, you one, hopping one around? One
2: night, I, I you know I get home from from this gig, from this job, and uh, I you know it's a long day, and he pounds, and then I look. My sister was staying with me at the time. I look at my sister, and I said, "That's it." And I stormed down there, and I'm not usually like this, but I went and knocked on this door, and we got into a yelling match against each other, me and this neighbor, and then. <sighs> Uh, went away to a wedding. I was stressed about it the entire wedding, and then when I got back, I, I went to my landlord and said, "I'm not living here anymore." And they, uh, I struck a deal. The landlord got a new unit, but um, it's still like you know, I have the holding address and just still things I have to deal with, all because of this neighbor. So persnickety.
6: Yeah. And you're sure you're not a thunderfoot, and no one's ever called you that behind your back.
2: Nope, never. <laughs> I never wear shoes in the apartment. What size shoe do you wear? Eleven.
0: Okay, that's a healthy foot. That's a healthy, that's a healthy, healthy foot, yeah.
2: man. <laughs> you know, I'm weighing in at about a buck eighty five, buck eighty. So, but you're
0: okay. you're a courteous person, like right. The first right. couple of times, you must have thought like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, you know, is it me? I could right? have
2: been nicer the first couple of times. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. but after a while, you're just like, come on, bozo. You, you know, and this other guy, you know, he knows he's living in an apartment, right? There's right. certain, there's certain. Uh, Concessions you have to make when you live in a a situation like that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I got one time I had an apartment. This was years ago. I had an apartment and I had my bedroom wall unfortunately lined up with the other apartment's bedroom wall <laughs> like the next door neighbor it was bedroom on bedroom uh-huh. crime
6: oh i can't wait to hear the rest of this one. oh
0: <laughs> let me tell you go ya, on
6: go on i
0: heard some amazing <laughs> things coming from that bedroom oh you
6: heard amazing things i
0: heard amazing things kay? okay <laughs> i heard sounds that uh I, I i thought wow that is really interesting there's something going on over there yeah that's interesting there was shouting there was screaming there were noises slapping noises and stuff like that and i've had the same thing it was all and it was often okay Uh and in my mind it was it was mostly fine yeah but in my mind i had it like this scene in my mind of these beautiful human beings (laughs) that were consummating their love okay (laughs) okay and then i caught a glimpse of them it wasn't pretty okay It I I it forced me to consider having to move because I was I can't unsee this I can't unhear what I've heard and this does not match. There was no congruency between what I was hearing and what I was seeing.
6: You would have been better off not actually seeing. Yeah, it it
0: would have been fine. It would have been fine. Have you ever had a situation like that? I had a friend, another friend, who had bedroom on bedroom situation in his condo. Mm -hmm.
6: Okay,
0: he owned the condominium. Yeah. And he was like Sean. He was a loud sleeper.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: He got grief from the neighbor saying, uh, no, no, let me I have this backwards. The neighbor was the loud sleeper. Okay. He got upset at the neighbor and he sent a real polite note saying, hey, I can hear you snoring. Yeah. Through the wall at yeah. night.
6: Here's a reference to a CPAP machine. Yeah. And yeah.
0: you need some help. Like yeah. maybe you're, you know, in, you're in trouble. <laughs> the neighbor got really mad at him. Uh-huh. Real defensive. And they ended up in a big spat over this. The neighbor had to put uh, extra insulation in the walls. It didn't help. Oh, wow. He had it finally. My my friend moved. Yeah. And I asked him. I said, "Do you do you have to disclose that? Like when you move? Like is that a disclosure <laughs> that you make as a real estate transaction?" And he was like, "I never even <laughs> thought of that. Like, do you have to tell people? Hey, look, the, it's great condo, great view. <laughs> it's all clean and new. Great kitchen, you know." But your neighbor, uh, your neighbor is essentially Shrek. Like you know, you have to do that.
6: <laughs> That's like when you check into a hotel or something, and they immediately hand you earplugs on the way in, and they're like, "Oh, here's some earplugs." Uh, there's a train that actually runs along the backside yeah. of this uh, <laughs> this property that might disturb you at around 2 a.m. In
0: college, I had a, I had a. We lived in a house that had train tracks right behind it. Yeah. You know what? You you don't hear it after a while.
6: You don't if you live there. You know, if it's yeah. a you know one night occupancy kind of thing. Yeah, no,
0: but the train would go by and be like, and I, and I, you know, I would be like, I don't even hear that. <laughs> The whole story I just told was actually, it ended up being a huge win
2: because the apartment that I was in, I got the first month free because it's right off a busy road, so it was just constantly loud car noises, and I got a much-upgraded apartment away from the road and basically the same price all because of this neighbor. So I can only complain so much about the neighbor.
6: Oh, so he did you a favor, really. In the
2: the long run, it wasn't very fun to move all my possessions, but yeah, in the
0: long run, he certainly did. Well, there you go. All right, what is bugging me? We haven't got to that one yet. You know what's bothering me? Uh, some of the, some of the, how do I put this nicely? Some of the media members who are covering the Pac-12 conference stuff mm-hmm. are really good. Yes, like there's a handful of media members that are just really good follows that you should follow. They're sourced, they're responsible. They're going to put out things. Like they'll they'll tell you if it's conjecture mm-hmm. versus like, hey, this is a fact, you know? Yeah. and, and but there's a whole another slew of people that are a little lost. And it's okay. Like, I'm lost sometimes, too. Like, I'm lost. Like, sometimes on the NBA in particular, I get a little lost Mm -hmm. because I'm so focused on the Pac-12. Yeah. I'd be the first to admit. Like, sometimes things happen and I I don't quite understand what is happening Mm -hmm. because I'm not as tuned into it as I am with, like, college football and college basketball and all that stuff. But there are some people out there that are lost on this Pac-12 stuff and they're just guessing and they're just throwing stuff out. Yeah. And it's really confusing the public. Mm-hmm. It's almost it, it. reminds me a little bit of what we saw with politics in the last five six years. Yeah, where like you could you didn't know what to trust a little bit because I think there's a lot of people out there that have it wrong and they're they're muddying up the conversation. And one of the things that keeps getting floated out there that's bugging me is this idea that the big the Big Twelve conference is going to poach Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. So I told you earlier in the show I reached out to ads at those schools. One of them got back to me and says that he feels very confident that the Pac-12 members are going to stay together here. He says we have good options. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's coming from the horse's mouth. That's not me just saying. Well, this is what I think. That's fact.
1: B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Anna and I are going to give you the five biggest, most important things that are going on. We're going to give you kind of the lowdown on what's happening. So, uh, you tell me what the five biggest things are. I'm going to tell you what I think the five biggest things are. Anna's going to help us out as well to uh, tell us uh, the five biggest things. But I'm going to start this thing off with a little bit of news. Let's do it. This is The
1: Five and five.
0: Well, I'm going to start with uh, the item that I'm just about to uh, post at JohnCanzano.com. If you follow there, if you subscribe there, you get it in real time. But in 2018, Larry Scott presented his bosses with a wild idea. He wanted to sell an equity stake in the Pac-12 conference. The conference members needed cash. Their media rights agreement was outdated. They were getting $10 million a a year less than their peers in the SEC and the Big Ten. So they hatched a plan to go shark tank. Larry Scott told the conference presidents and chancellors, let's go to private equity and see what we can get. I'm told that the PAC-12 was offered a billion dollars for 15% equity in the conference by a private equity firm. The biggest pushback to making the deal came from two camps, USC and UCLA. It looks to me like the Trojans and the Bruins had one foot out the door even then like they were not really interested in cutting a deal that would have brought that kind of cash into the conference that is number one in our five at five anna go
6: i don't know how big news this is but i thought it was interesting steph curry his range not just shooting those deep threes the newly crowned finals mvp just hold out a golf shot from 97 yards away. Yes, this is the American Central Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament in Lake Tahoe. We've heard of that before. But on the par four 13th hole at the event, he smashed his second shot just past the hole, but because of all the spin he put on it, it rolled backward and straight into the cup. And there's great video from NBC Sports of him losing his mind. Celebrating with his dad and his brother going crazy on the course.
0: Love that. Never caught a foul ball at a baseball game. Never made a (laughs) hole-in-one. Put him on my bucket list. (laughs) Number three in our five at five, Damian Lillard getting paid. He signed a two-year extension. No big surprise. $122 million. Damian Lillard will get $61 million a year under his new deal. If Lillard averages twenty five points per game over eighty two games, sixty million gets you about thirty thousand dollars a point. Said a friend of mine, I bet he would have signed for twenty eight thousand a point. Anna, number three.
6: Well then four. that makes Is it three or four. I don't One, know. Two, four, four,
0: four, four, four. For you, four.
6: I guess it makes sense then that he's telling Yahoo Sports that uh, Jody Allen does take his calls. Did he say he's not sure where that story out of the New York Post came from? That every time she, he's reached out to her, she's always taken the time to speak with him. He's never sent an email and has a great relationship with management and ownership. And that his agent, Aaron Goodwin, speaks with ownership and management on a regular basis.
0: Hmm. So, convenient
6: your- timing. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Cha-ching.
6: Cha Ching. I have a great relationship yeah. with management. I, I,
0: you know what he should say is they just gave me 122 million. I don't care if she takes my calls. I don't care if she returns my emails. In fact, I gotta be honest with you. You know, my coworkers know this over the years at, in the newspaper business and radio. I don't wanna have a big phone conversation unless we absolutely have to have a conversation.
6: Right. I don't want
0: I don't even wanna email. You do your job, I'll do my job. That's what Lillard should have said. Finally, (laughs) the fifth thing in our 5 at 5 on this beautiful Friday. Major League Baseball's All-Stars have been set. Shohei Ohtani is in. Ohtani hitting two fifty-seven with 18 dingers. And, by the way, 8-4 on the mound with a 2.44 ERA is going to be a big part of the All-Star game. His Angels teammate Mike Trout also got his 10th career selection as a starter. Aaron Judge of the Yankees will also be in the outfield, as will uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Judge leads the majors with 30 home runs. In the National League, uh, the, big, the big race was at third base. Manny Machado will uh, will be the starter at third base. Shortstop also uh, was close. Dansby Swanson, formerly of the Hillsborough Hops, got edged out by the Dodgers' Trey Turner. There it is. That's your five at five. Let's unpack this. Judah Newby, how much should the All-Star Game be about Otani?
4: Um, well, it was last year, really, all about Otani, right? Because the... Yep. Narrative around Shohei <laughs> came up and sorry came up and uh, came and went, I should say, like the week before I think. And then Stephen A had that big clip that kind of got debated and everything. And then at the all-star game, I think Fox did a very intentional job of making it all about Shohei as much as possible. Plus he was starting the game on the mound. I mean, that's amazing. So this year, I think you can still make it about him, but do it a little less. So, um, and, uh, Try to highlight, uh, you know, other guys that uh, that might need to shine. I need to look at who actually made this thing. I know you were just talking about it, but it kind of slipped under my radar. Did Ty France make it for the Mariners?
0: I, uh, I wasn't looking for Mariners. I was looking for Otani and Trout, and I wanted to see what was going to happen between uh, at third base with Manny Machado and, uh, was it Nolan Arenado? Aron- Aronado?
4: We'll give that- it to you. Nolan Arenado. Arenado, yeah. My St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah,
0: he, uh, Machado... Edged him 40, 51% to 49%. It's bogus. It is kind of bogus. But, uh, it, it, you know, it, nothing's changed. When I was a kid, it, it was all about, you know, who had more fans voting or whatnot. And, you know, at the ballpark when you had to actually punch in the ballot and turn it in at the ballot box, my Giants never had a chance because they didn't draw anybody. Did you ever to go to stadium. an All-Star game? I have been to an All-Star game. I was in one in Chicago years ago. And I was there to cover it. And unfortunately, Zach Randolph got in some kind of altercation. That was about the third inning of the game. I left the stadium to go right about Zebo. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the All-Star game, but I didn't get to see the finish. Was it Wrigley or U.S. Cellular? It was at U.S. Cellular.
6: That's the game where you would have caught that foul ball, maybe from the press box. They
0: said, in fact, a foul ball was hit and it landed on my seat in the press box. <laughs> no they didn't say that. Uh let's t- let's unpack this other stuff. $30,000 a point for Lillard if he ends up playing. Is there any way to package $122 million over 2 years that doesn't sound uh egregious?
4: Yeah, it's it's with other NBA stars signing for more money in the
2: next 6 months to a year. Russell Westbrook <laughs> makes $47 million yeah. a year. So that's, that's the way to yeah. make it not sound egregious.
0: <laughs> you could just compare it to Westbrook. Yeah, compare it to other people. I can name
2: other players that make way too much money compared to Lillard.
0: Yeah. Um, I, are we – I mean, look, My off the top of the show, I just said, look, I was a little uneasy paying that kind of money for a player who hasn't won a single Western Conference Finals game, doesn't have any wins there. But it's not his fault. But is it – are we over – because I remember when Bobby Bonilla got like $20 million, everybody went, you know nuts saying oh my gosh look at the salaries uh, and and that was a 20 million dollar contract it was the life of the contract it wasn't a season lillard's going to make 61 million dollars in a season is are we over the idea that what that fans should be all up in arms when players get big contracts or yeah
6: we're totally over it. we're over it we're over it we have to be We're. i'm over it i oh, mean when you compare what? it to like what did what did Nikola jokic what did he just get Two hundred and seventy million dollars a supermax for more, five years. It's five
0: years, though, Anna. Yeah, that's five. That's five long years in the uh, in the mines in Denver. You know, <laughs> so you know uh,
6: that's fifty four million a year. If we're breaking that down. I
0: kind of feel like it's the housing price thing. You know how like the prices of, of homes. <laughs> no, but you know how the prices of homes went nuts and everybody had their story, everybody's one upping everyone else going, Yeah, there were twenty offers on this house. No, there was thirty offers on this house. No, it's sold for a hundred thousand over asking. Like everybody's got a story like that. Yeah. But we get at some point you're desensitized to it. Just like the price of gasoline.
6: Mm-hmm. You know my parents no, are I'm visiting. Not, I'm not desensitized. No, yet. my
0: parents are visiting. They're seeing six dollars a gallon gallon down in California. Yeah, they couldn't believe they saw four ninety eight somewhere. They were like in Damascus. <laughs> they saw four ninety eight, and it was like they wanted to take a picture of the sign. Jeez, you know, like I think we're a little desensitized.
6: Mm, I'm not. I, I don't know. I, don't, I still have sticker shock right now.
4: Jokic, you know, has won back to back MVPs. Right? I mean. Dame has not done that, and now he's going to obviously make more. I I feel – I kind of respect your opinion from the top of the show, John. I mean, I always respect your opinion, but I think most people are just going to celebrate this for Dame. You know, ah, he means so much to the city, the market, the Blazers, yeah. And that kind of writes itself, but there is a point of it. There's no excuses for this guy now. Like, to me, there's no margin of error for him to not show up. Not that he would, but what I'm saying is – There's no soft glove in it with Damian Lillard down. He's going to be 32, I believe, in a week on on July 15th, or 33? 32. 32. You know, all the criticism of his performance at this point is more than warranted. It was already, but especially when you make 61. And then tell me, John, if I'm being hypocritical, or at least, you know, is that unfair? If you make a certain amount of money, or the more money you make, I feel like the more criticism... Should come your way when it is warranted, not unwarranted criticism. But people shouldn't bat an eye if if we start to critique Damian Lillard with a little bit more vigor now, because the stakes are are what they are: 32, 61 million. Western Conference Finals is not good enough. Obviously, it's a
0: team game, but no more soft gloving it with this guy. I I agree with that. I think I think the time has come. If if here's the if if the roster around him is competent i think there've been there been some in his defense there've been some massive problems with the with the roster i mean it's on the gm and I, I can't simultaneously criticize the gm and then blame lillard right for the team but now you know he's on his second general manager let's see how he does you know i just think the sad part in the end it's going to be a little bit on him and it's going to be a, a little bit on the university but the sad part is you've got this window with him that is closing, you know, I kind of feel like his best years might we might end up saying, hey, his best years are behind him. He's going to be by the time this deal's up, he's going to be thirty six, thirty seven in the end. And at that point, if they're not winning, I, I mean, I think we'll all be kind of sad that, like, gosh, what did they get for all that money?
2: Does it make him less of a does it less of a trade asset? Like, is it going to make it harder to trade Damian Lillard? if this doesn't work out in the next couple of years because now he has those extra two years in which he's gonna be making about fifty five million dollars or whatever it is, sixty million dollars, does it make is are there gonna be less suitors for Damian Lillard in the future if he were to get traded if it does not work out in Portland because of this contract extension?
0: I think it comes down to whether or not he can still play. If he can still play, the the money won't hurt. If he is if it's a bad contract in let's just say year one of the extension, let's just say he's not what he used to be. Uh, then I think we are going to be talking about missed opportunities. And, you know, gosh, you're stuck with this. And by the way, there is an option. There's a player option for Lillard at the end of the rainbow. It could be really painful. That final year, there is a player option for 26-27. Oh. He's going to be 36-37 years old. Mm-hmm. So
4: there's the there's the one-year extension, as it were, and a player option it's, for the year two? It's or?
0: two years Okay, plus... Oh. A second year is a player option. Twenty six, twenty seven, I believe, if I have that right. I I have to look into that. That's that's one of those areas where I'm telling you. Yeah. Um let's just say what is his current deal? What is his current deal up? Twenty four to twenty five, I think, is the uh
4: is when his okay. current deal so, ends or so
0: second see. year is his option.
4: Yeah, twenty four twenty five is the end of the current deal.
0: Okay, so it is one year guaranteed fully and then the second year, he has the option. Gotcha. So in that second year, it's his option. Look out. If he's not worth it, uh, he's going to exercise the option. He's going to take the money, and the Blazers are going to be stuck with a player making $61 million who can't play.
2: (laughs) For what it's worth, I do think that the one-year, year-and-a-half abdomen hiatus that he's coming off of I think is going to help his longevity. I think we're going to see the best of Damian Lillard this upcoming year, and I think it's going to – you know, I think there's something to be said about maybe taking a year off and getting your body right, in which he just experienced in 2021. I think that's going to be a help.
6: Can I ask you guys your opinion on something cuz you guys study this stuff obviously way more than I do? Do you find that the players that are getting these massive contract extensions, you know, they're getting more than 50 million dollars a year, this kind of thing, is there a direct correlation with these giant contracts and their performance? Like, you know what I'm saying? Is it is like in my in a normal job, in any job that I've had, if I've gotten a raise, I am really motivated to work extra hard to prove to everybody that I deserve that raise. Is that the same mentality? And does that play out in the NBA?
4: That's a really good question. I think John has some great, probably has some more insight than I do on this. I would no, say. No, I mean,
6: I value your opinions too. because You guys are into it.
4: When I see contracts like this, and I see it for quarterbacks as well, it's not as much money in the NFL as the NBA, but the tough thing with sports ownership and stars, and I would also say stars in small markets, because <laughs> that's a different game than, than the large markets are playing in the NBA, you're paying a lot for past performance. And that's, I think, just part of, the tough pill to swallow as an owner. It's like you're you're paying guys to stay a lot for what they've done in the past and not so much of what you hope they do in the future because sports is so uncertain. That's really where guaranteed money comes in, and the NBA does a good job of it, and the NFL does a not-so-good job of it from a player standpoint. But to your point, Anna, yeah, I think so much of this money is going for past performance that's already been done, and it does not not guarantee anything about how good that player is going to be in the future. And if it doesn't work out to what Sean was pointing out with Damian Lillard, is that if it doesn't work out with a guy that's signed for big money, they can get traded. They just, they just demand a trade to go to a new team like James Harden or Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. Like the empowerment for star players is crazy these days to where it doesn't really matter in the NBA so much. It just feels like, like monopoly money to me in a way.
0: I, I think, uh, you're right, and I wonder who's paying for it, right? Like ultimately, you think Jody Allen's paying Damian Lillard sixty one million dollars, or that you know uh, Kevin Durant or who uh, Kyrie Irving or whatever the star player is. You know, we 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 think about it; it's it's not really the owner. I mean, that's not coming out of her pocket. It's part of the business model. I mean, they're getting television money that is ridiculous, and these contracts are based on the TV money. And we're going to watch, you know, season ticket prices. Keep an eye on season ticket prices at Motor Center. Ask yourself how much of Damian Lillard's salary the fans are going to chip in for here. Is it all TV money? I don't think so. Uh, You know, and the Blazers are in a little bit of a pinch because I don't see a high demand for their season tickets right now. And
6: what I'm talking about is just the correlation between somebody being granted giant contract like this and, like, the performance that we see afterward because – I know that, like, wouldn't there be a temptation for some players to be like, hey, I'm pretty maxed out. I'm going to ride this thing out, you know, until the end of my career and just try not to get, like – really devastatingly injured in the meantime
2: i i think that sometimes you see the best performance before the big contract right. because they're chasing that bag yeah. so to speak it's what you call and a contract year right they they do <laughs> their best a contract yeah. year and then sometimes especially nba players can get a little bit lazy or or they could just deteriorate once that contract has already gotten you know once yeah. they've gotten paid already that's definitely mean, that is totally a thing and it's
4: in the nfl as well like GM's agents players like guys that are on their last year of their deal play the hardest that they've ever played and guys that just got paid it's really hard to channel that urgency cuz it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of primal but mm-hmm. to your point and I think you know in your in your professional experience it's a little bit different cuz you want to prove your merit to your coworkers you know if yeah. you go cowork- I mean not that people know what people are making or anything like that but if if you know hey you get a promotion like you're not sitting on your laurels. You're working your ass off because right. you've got professional pride. I don't think that exists as much with uh, with major athletics.
0: Hmm. I think it they're human. Remember when Mike Riley had a lifetime, basically a lifetime job guarantee at yeah. Oregon State? Yeah. If he won six games, he got another year on his contract. Mm-hmm. And all he did for a while there was win six, seven, eight games, right mm-hmm. He just and i I kind of wonder if you'd lose your edge. You know, ask yourself that if you had a lifetime job guarantee, would you get soft? Would you lose the competitive edge? I think you would. I think there's nothing more. Inspired than a player who's playing for a contract. Mm -hmm. Forget, you know, some of them will talk about, hey, it's a love of the game, all this nonsense. You dangle the esteem that comes with getting a max contract in front of an NBA player, and that's a carrot that they're going to chase. And I think we see it over and over in sports. These players who are in final year of their contract, you know, just play lights out. And it brings me to Jeremy Grant. I mean, if you are Jeremy Grant this year, he will become. An unrestricted free agent at the end of this season for the Blazers. I'm really interested to see, you know, how many extra rebounds, how many extra points he gets, how hard he works, because he's really uh, he's showcasing himself for a, a big deal. Yeah, that's I think, yeah. makes you nervous. Mm-hmm. And there you go.
4: By the way, I just got your Nuggets um, yeah. thing into my inbox, JC. I this is crazy. This is crazy with the Pac-12 turned down.
0: Yeah, they turned down a billion dollars. And, yeah, let's talk about that after (laughs) the break.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The
3: Game.
0: A billion dollars. I feel like we should go into, like, Austin Powers. A
6: billion dollars. Uh, One billion billion
0: dollars. One billion. Uh, The Pac-12 turned down a billion dollar offer to sell equity in the conference in 2019. Remember the Shark Tank thing that they did back in the day? Uh, They uh, ultimately uh, decided not to do it. I am told they had a billion dollar offer on the table and that uh, the uh, conference members could not get consensus on it being a good deal. But the interesting part of that is that the two universities that were most opposed to making the deal were UCLA and USC. (sighs) I'm told that in the case of UCLA, it was the Wasserman Group who really behind the scenes at UCLA calls the shots. They are they are the entity that is moving the needle behind the scenes at UCLA. They are making decisions. I can tell you that UCLA Athletic Director Martin Jarmon, when he was negotiating the Chip Kelly extension, was um, deeply entrenched with the Wasserman group at UCLA. And Casey Wasserman being involved at UCLA makes sense, but... That group, I think, is calling the shots at UCLA. But that Wasserman group was advising at the time uh, as part of that deal, and they advised university leadership Gene Block, the chancellor at UCLA, to not take the private equity deal. Now, I'm not saying that I would take the deal, but if you are valuing the Pac-12 conference, 15% of the conference, if you're valuing that at a billion dollars, the conference was looking for 10%. 10%. They were going to give up 10% for 500000 okay? So, you know, it, they got the valuation and them, then some uh, on what they wanted. So in the end, it just simply came down to the fact that they did not want to give up equity in the conference. Would you guys have given up equity in the Pac-12 conference if it meant the Pac-12 conference would still be intact today?
7: Oh, Yes. yes.
6: Yes, yes. You would. I don't even need to put my Mark Cuban hat on. Yes, I would. Would have. Right?
4: I don't think Mark Cuban wears hats, does
6: he? You know what I mean. I know. Proverbial. Yeah. Uh,
0: It's just interesting.
6: A billion dollars. It's
4: just interesting. You quote someone in your column here. Yeah. So USC USC has had a foot out the door for two decades. Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: I think that USC was not happy in 2011. Let's go back there. They weren't happy in 2011 when the Pac-12 ADs decided that they were going to have everyone have an equal share. Do you guys? Do you believe in fairness, Judah? I, I do,
4: John. I, I do. It's a core value. Uh, fairness, yeah. justice, you know, absolutely.
0: So in, in the Pac-12 at the time, you had 12 members, including Utah and Colorado. They were going to take this TV deal. Uh, it, it took 75% con, uh, uh, to get the vote passed. Ten to two was the vote on equal revenue sharing. <laughs> Guess which two universities voted nay? UCLA, UCLA and USC. USC. Everybody else said, yeah, we'll take an equal share of that. Bob DeCarolis was the AD at Oregon State at the time. I remember he came on this show in the wake of that meeting, and he, they were shown the financials. They were shown, here's what every university is going to get. He said he nearly did a cartwheel when he left the meeting. <laughs> you know, to careless, guy guy doing a cartwheel. You know, it turns out the money they never got the money. It didn't really pencil out the way they thought it would because Larry Scott. But, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of feel like they should have given UCLA and USC more than and than like one share. Shouldn't they've gotten a little more?
4: Well, because now you're saying fairness isn't yeah. that the the yeah. shoe on the other foot, as it were, like if they do, you know, generate more revenue. Now it now we're kind of getting in the US men's national team women's national team debate, right? I mean, it's like does your revenue, you know, equal um what you're bringing in. And so, I don't know, that is interesting. I I do USC looking over at Vanderbilt in a better position in the SEC than themselves are in in the Pac-12. Like I get that. Like I I actually understand why why they left. I'm still kind of shocked by it and I think it's gross and and dirty but I, I understand it conceptually
0: i i think it's funny because USC and UCLA go to the Big 10 now and like Purdue and Indiana get an equal share you know they don't have a problem as long as they're getting more money right. than they would have gotten in the Pac 12 but they had a problem because you know as one source inside one of those athletic departments told me he says uh, you know our taxes are higher our cost of living is higher uh we have the you know forty percent of the media households we're providing. we should have got more. you know I would have given them I would have said if I'm the pac twelve like this is why I think u s c and u c l a are wrong to just do this in secrecy like what was the what would have been the problem for them to come forward and go, look, we're thinking about leaving if you don't give us
6: twice what we're getting now we're you can you match what the big ten's doing?" <laughs> Or we're out. Do you really think that that conversation... I mean, first of all, that sounds a little bit like extortion. But <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but it's that's how you do a deal. That's like, a little bit backs to the wall, kind of, you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but
0: wouldn't that have been better than... Hey, than, George. So. You know?
6: <laughs> I don't know. So do you think, that, like, what you're reporting on johnkinzano.com, uh, what you're reporting here, do you think this was a failure of Larry Scott to sell what sounded like a pretty good deal to involve private equity uh, to the chancellors and the presidents. Or do you think that this was a, a governing group that didn't understand the stakes and should have taken the deal
0: or some combination? of Um, No, I, I actually don't think they should have sold equity. Okay. I'm okay with them not selling equity. Okay. Because once you start selling off a piece of an entity like the PAC 12, Where do you stop? Every time you get in trouble, you gotta go raise more money, give away another 5% pretty soon, you don't own the league, you know? And how long before the private equity partner is trying to force you to make decisions? Mm -hmm. We see it all the time in the corporate world. Like, you know, somebody comes in and buys a piece of the company, boom. You know, Um, I just, I think I'm okay with them not making that deal. I was just surprised that they had a billion dollar deal on the table at, you know, at that valuation.
6: Okay, so the second point here then is, didn't somebody have, like, the history of the Pac-12 bound in some kind of binder that was handed to George Klyovkov that included this important detail that USC and UCLA were the holdouts in this thing Mm. way back when? Like, basically, should this not have been more and more on Klyovkov's radar?
0: Yeah, it should have been on his radar. It should have been. And, and I hit him on it a little bit today, and I wrote about it. Like, he had one job. Don't lose USC. And then beyond that, yeah. But I think he was really focused on the Goodwill Tour that he was making in year one. And, all you know, he's going around all the universities. And and, and I don't, you know, as one AD said to me, you know, you, you can't blame him for asking and then believing USC when they said, we're in, we're not leaving.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, because... I believe what's going to come out is that they lied about mm-hmm. their intentions. But do, you know, do you do you think that they're they're wrong for for doing that? Oh, boy. It's,
4: who, who, who's wrong?
0: USC and is UCLA you, for is you, just leaving. Like for that? leaving, you know.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think they're wrong for doing it. Absolutely. Um, I understand it again, but yeah, it's 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 dirty. And uh, but I, you know, it's kind of LA. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm conflict. Look, it's I like kind of I really, LA. <laughs> I really like the Pac-12. So to not have the Pac-12 with those schools, for those schools to give the finger to the Pac-12 and say we're better off without you, I say screw them. You know? And like I absolutely think that's dirty. I'm actually probably more pissed at Kevin Warren as a Pac-12 fan. Mm. And you played some of that Kevin Warren audio, and the Kevin Warren audio from the Alliance press conference where he's like, we looked each other right in the eye. We gave a, gave the handshakes. You know, we, we trust each other. It's all about trust. And then he goes on this five minute diatribe of how he was raised by his parents, and how important character was.
0: Yeah.
4: In that same freaking
0: answer. Yeah. yeah.
4: One year later, he is professionally backstabbing George Klyovkov, and I'm that pisses me off. I know it's driven by Fox. I know it's, you know, TV stuff, and I get it, but there is culpability at the commissioner's seat. And for him to act like that when he goes on this long diatribe of, of character and trust and the alliance means so much and Jim Phillips is there and George is there, to, ha- to have this, really? I mean, everybody says it, right? It's like when people show you who they are, believe them? Yeah. In fact, Kevin Warren used that exact damn quote. In the press conference last year.
0: And now we see
4: who Kevin Warren really is. And I'm
0: believing him.
4: And that that pisses me off, man.
0: I've been thinking about this. Okay, I was doing a little bit of yard work today. And I was thinking about Kevin Warren and George Klyovkov. Those guys were traveling around together, hanging out together. They were in an alliance together. They were going to dinner together. I saw them in Columbus, Ohio. They sat together during the Ohio State-Oregon game. And I gotta wonder what George said or texted to Kevin Warren after the news broke that USC and UCLA were going to the Big Ten. What is your what is your bet on that? I am going to find out. I'm gonna ask George Kyovkov that. I'm gonna say, what did you what did you send to Kevin Warren afterwards? Because like do you send a text going, Thanks a lot for stabbing me in the back? What do you do? Because it was like all is fair and love and war and all that. But I just think there's a you know like did Kevin Warren call him to be like, "Hey, um, you know uh I, I'm sorry, but uh, we, we're just about to stab you in the back, like what happens
2: do you think, do you think Kleevkov's like at the uh the joking phase of this matter? do you think it's a little no. too soon too soon <laughs> at what point do you <laughs> think it's going to be like, yeah, you know, I, I told him this after like at what point do you are you going to be able to text him something like that, and he's going to give you kind of a funny response a couple months?
0: Uh, I think after the Pac-12 ends up okay. Yeah. Let me play Kevin Warren's response. This is from July uh, of, or excuse me, August of last year. There was not a signed document between the Alliance members, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC. Here's Kevin Warren on why they didn't need a signed deal.
7: Bruce, good to hear your voice. And again, I think it's a great question. And and even though I'm a lawyer, I mean, but uh, one of the things that, One of my most favorite law professors at uh, Notre Dame would say that uh, uh, if you have to go back and look at a contract that you signed, you probably entered a deal with the wrong parties. And and I think what that says is, are contracts important? Absolutely. They're critically important. But where we are in college athletics right now, uh, what we really need is, is things to be stable. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. I mean, you look at the NCAA going through the Constitutional Convention review I mean, we have nil we have austin we have cfp expansion we have the gender equity you know issues i mean we have many many issues that we have to deal with and especially conference realignment and so we just felt that we could look each other in the eyes shake each other's hand to say that we have a fiduciary responsibility to the past student athletes our current student athletes and the future student athletes uh, to be able to do something that is right you know, for once.
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, If you have to look at the contract, you're probably engaged with the wrong parties. And, And meanwhile, he's taking a knife out of the sheath and George has got his back turned. You know, I have to know, like, what?
6: What do you, Anna? What do you think George Klyovkov says to Kevin Warren after he gets stabbed in the back? I think George Klyovkov is a pretty um, seasoned business person at the highest levels of, you know, executive leadership, and I, I think it's not the first time that he's seen this kind of move, especially given his background with what MGM Resorts oh, he's in Vegas. In Vegas, I mean, come on, yeah. This this can't be new, you know, about face behavior by someone that you're trying to engage in a business partnership with.
0: Here's Klyovkov the same day that Warren said we don't need a signed deal. There's no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen and there is a commitment from 41 presidents and chancellors and 41
2: athletic directors to do what we say we're gonna do. If there's any lack of specificity in the press release, it's because we want to make sure we could deliver 100% of what we promised. So we're aligned in how we wanna approach this but there's no contract. There's no signed document, and there doesn't need to be. There you go. Does, you
4: know. That
6: plays so differently Dude, now. This is, this is, <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't have
4: much hair, but it's I'm pulling it out. <laughs> oh
6: <my laughs> that's like that's like Brooks Kepker whatever his name is, the golfer that was like lambasting the tournament, the LIV tournament, until he wasn't. You're right. Right. Yeah. It's so it's it rings similarly now to go back and listen to it oh, we don't have a signed deal because actually I don't want a signed deal.
0: Well, in the end, I don't know if a signed deal would have kept the Big Ten from poaching USC because it probably wouldn't have been part of the scope of that. So isn't the bigger offense here just like, you know, you were supposed to be galvanized as a trio, the alliance. Everybody laughed and snickered, and you said, no, 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 we're on board with each other. And then the Big Ten – Stole George Klyovkov's, you know, most attractive, you know, when it, like, let's use a farming analogy, a ranching analogy. The Big Ten basically rustled the cattle out of George Klyovkov's stable. <laughs> and Kevin Warren said... The, the prize cattle. Yeah, F, as Kevin Warren, yeah, he's got his two prize yeah. steers. Yeah. Kevin Warren, as he's galloping away like Kevin Costner in Yellowstone, he looks back and he goes, Thanks for the hospitality, George. Jeez. You know? That's that's what it comes down to. Alright, you got the BFT statewide. I want you to leave it right here.
1: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
0: I thought the first part of today's show, I thought it was just okay. I think the last 90 minutes has been really good. So if you've been listening in the last 90 minutes, you're getting our good stuff. You know, like a starting pitcher who comes in and he says, ah, it took me about two innings to get going. I think that was today's show. Uh, If you are uh, listening to this show via podcast, Uh, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, share the episodes, uh, the interviews uh, liberally. Uh, They are free. Um, You can spread the joy. I was looking at the numbers for the podcast just the other day. We are uh, sitting here in early July. We are over 3 million downloads of the show this year. So I appreciate everybody who is listening on a podcast. I think, you know, hey, it's, it's not... It, you know, I listen to podcasts, but uh, there are people who listen to this show every day via podcast, and I appreciate you for being out there. For those of you who want to uh, engage with the show that way, if you are if you have an iPhone, just go to the Purple Podcast app and and search for Baldface Truth and subscribe, and the episodes will uh, propagate automatically right there on your phone. They'll be waiting for you, and when you need them or you you hear a good interview that you like, and you go, oh, I want to share that with uh, Joe McGee down the street. Well, Joe McGee will be grateful that you had that all queued up and ready to go. Um, this weekend, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in sports, but I want to know, um, Judah Newby and Sean, give me one thing that you're looking forward to this weekend.
4: Oh, yeah, big one for me. It's an easy one. Uh, get you a little soccer fix. It's Portland-Seattle week, JC. Oh. So Timbers, Sounders with John Strong on the call tomorrow. Uh, and we'll have the radio call right here on 750, but uh, nationally televised on Big Fox, Timber
2: Sounders from Lumenfield.
0: Love that. How about you, Sean?
2: Yeah, I'll be I'll be producing that one. So uh, looking forward to that. And other than that, are you talking about like w- what's on my mind sports wise? Well, anything personal? you're looking
0: forward to? I thought you might say, hey, I'm looking forward to putting my snowshoes on and stomping around the apartment. Oh, with, man, without anybody getting <laughs> I have no mad one at under me.
2: me anymore. So uh, <laughs> no one's under me. They put me above a garage, so I can do whatever I want in my apartment. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward on a personal level. Uh, my friends are having a little housewarming party for their new house, so I'm looking forward to spending That's some time cool. with them. Yeah. I like that.
0: I wonder, uh, your friends have a nickname for you. Do they call you Bigfoot? <laughs> you know? <laughs> then you'll know it's my, you. My brother wears size 13 and a half shoes. Mm-hmm. He's
2: like 6'5", so I'm definitely not the one in the family that would be called Bigfoot. Anna, what are you looking forward to
0: this weekend?
6: Uh, working on a house, uh, doing some things around that house and feeling productive.
0: Got some things to do. Mm-hmm, I'm lots f- to do. I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, sunshine, I, I think the weather's been fantastic. I do not take it for granted. Uh, I have lived in the Pacific Northwest long enough to know when we get good, beautiful, sunny days. It's always like when you go by like the hardware store on a weekend. You can see like the parking lot, everybody's there. Uh, I always feel good about that. So that that'll be coming up uh, in the final segment. We will give you uh, what's on tap, and uh, we'll talk more about your weekend. I want you to leave it rock in right here did i just say rocked in something rocked in, baby rocked in leave, it, in leave it rocked in rocked right in. here on the bald face truth
1: <laughs> back to the bald face truth with john canzano
0: on 750 the game peter samson and the pulse coming up top of the hour right here on uh, 750 the game peter what do you got on the show
8: Oh man, there's just a little bit to talk about with the Damian Lillard news. I'll share my thoughts on the extension. We'll kind of put a bow on that New York Post hit piece, and uh, yeah, big win for the Ducks. Dante Moore coming to town.
0: Isn't the big news in that hit piece from the Post that it seems as though the bosses have given the green light on taking shots at Jody Allen? Like it was, it seems as though the gloves came off. Like Phil Knight's camp looks upset at. Jody and, you know, I have to think, you know, they're close with Adam Silver, they being Phil Knight and Larry Mm -hmm. Miller. I don't think that that story sees the light of day if if Adam Silver's
8: not okay with it. Oh, absolutely not. I agree. And it's just a shame because fans are caught in the middle, billionaires fighting with other billionaires, or at least people Mm -hmm. in charge of billions of dollars, and the fans are just kind of swaying in the wind with it.
0: Let me ask you, uh, you know, we see weird things that billionaires do, Jody collecting penguin skulls and giraffe bones, so to speak. What weird hobby would you have if you were like a 20-billionaire?
8: Oh man, that is a great question. I would probably, maybe this isn't weird because it's along the line that I think a lot of billionaires or super wealthy people do. I would collect like big time historical documents. I'm, you remember Ross Perot? Yeah. Quirky guy, billionaire, ran for president. He bought one of the original copies of the Magna Carta. Like there are three copies of this <laughs> thing. It predates the Constitution by like 300 years and he had one. I thought, man, if I could get a slice of that. Love that,
0: uh, yeah. If you were buying, like, you'd be in, you'd collect, like, you wouldn't be collecting Beanie Babies or bobblehead dolls. You'd be going after like the Constitution or, or whatever historical documents yeah. you could buy. Uh, this brings us to what's on tap. Uh, baseball on the docket this weekend. Now it's
1: time for what's on tap and what's on TV at the Independent on the BFT.
0: We got some baseball games this weekend. Tampa Bay is visiting Cincinnati. That'll be on FS1 tomorrow, Saturday, 1.10, first pitch Pacific time. The Yankees and Red Sox mixing it up on Fox, 4.15, first pitch. There you go. Jordan Montgomery will be on the hill against an undecided opponent for that one. Giants are at the Padres, also on Fox at 4.15. Uh, Hugh Darvish on the mound for the Padres. And then later in the evening, Toronto is at Seattle. 710 first pitch. It's on ESPN Plus. For Yankee Red Sox fans on Sunday, final game of their three-game series, New York at Boston, 4 o'clock on Sunday. ESPN for that one. That's what's on tap this weekend. Also what's on tap, uh, I got to tell you, um, you know, this weekend. Uh, Make sure that you are paying attention to what I'm writing. Make sure that you are, if you are interested in a subscription, go to johnconzano.com. You can get it in real time, uh, delivered to your email inbox. Uh, There will be news over the weekend. I think it's been a really productive week for the Pac-12. Nobody panicked. Nobody left. Nobody bolted the conference in the last seven days. So that's good. All right, if you're listening in Portland on 750 The Game, I encourage you to stick around for Peter Sampson and The Pulse. That is coming up next. Uh, Thank you to Sean. Thank you to Judah. Thank you to uh, Anna for being part of the show.